0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is the Matt
2: Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Good to be back with you. Yes, post surgery, seven stab wounds later, I'm healed. I'm back. We can't do a sit-up yet, but uh, how many of us can, honestly? Thank you. Thank you. It is good to be with you. And by the way, we couldn't have picked a better topic uh, for me today. We're going to be talking about health care and uh, the public option, which is like the third rail of politics, apparently. Democrats have always been pushing for the public option. Republicans, you know, think it means death panels and all these other, you know, Fearful, scary things, but our guest today is going to be talking about how uh, maybe a public option could actually solve some of the problems with even the current bill that may get through the Senate. If I mean, if it is going to get through the Senate, it's it's pretty. It's at a pretty scary point right Wrong. now. Wrong. Yeah, apparently, it's a it's a health care bill because they're going to repeal and replace. Yeah. Isn't it more I mean, of a tax bill? It's a tax bill, but okay. sure. But t- and 26 million people, more, fewer will be insured.
3: It's 20, I mean, 22. Okay. Yeah. It's actually improving on the the House bill, which was 23 yeah. million people. See, to, so they did. They put their heads together yeah. and they found another million that they could insure. There you go.
2: So maybe this could provide some answers. As
3: the president asks, it's less mean. By a mil- I mean, one million people. It's still
2: mean. It's just less mean. Maybe he meant mean like average. Yeah, I think that's what he meant. It's yeah. less average. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be talking about the public option and and mainly to inform you that it, the public option doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. It's been vilified. Because pretty much it, it, everyone's like, well, you shouldn't – the government shouldn't be in health care. OK. Well, they are. That's why they're making new bills. Um, but we don't want private – public money to be going to private enterprises like health insurance companies. Well, it already does. So – And well, it doesn't mean you're going to have fewer choices because you're just going to have the public choice. Well, actually right now that's not the case because you can be on Medicare and go to different places. You can go to – you can take your Medicare and go to whatever hospital serves in your area. So you still have choices with your Medicare money. Right. Anywho. If it's still around in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, if it's still around. (laughs) Plus, you know, do you want the government running your end-of-life decisions? Uh, They kind of still already are.
3: Yeah. Because they're still producing all the laws that
2: run your end-of-life
3: decisions. And in a way, it's kind of baked into the, the plan that they're talking about right now. Yeah. Is that, you know, when they decide whether you get funds for certain... Procedures—that's kind of deciding whether you live or not, right? Or, or I guess if you're worth it, if you're worth spending all that money. On. Yeah, I mean you're 70 and you have cancer. Ah, maybe ugh. can't you just ride this one out? Yeah,
2: I mean, do you really want to fight it at your age? And that's kind of what you're going to be pushed against. Yeah, but you know, the public option. So we'll get into all of that craziness. Plus, of course, we'll continue to celebrate Sunglasses Day. Uh, of all the days of the year, this is my favorite day because you get to wear your sunglasses.
4: Really? But you're just wearing your regular glasses in here.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I have a weird moment because my drive, depending on when I leave, I have some time where I need sunglasses and then I have time where I don't need sunglasses. And then I have time – just a few seconds where I need them again and then I don't. And I get so darn tired of changing them. I have
3: yellow lensed Sunglasses that I wear in the mornings.
2: Okay. Oh, you're that guy.
3: Yeah, I've heard of you. It's like pitch black outside. Yeah. I put these things on, and they actually kind of they help you see a little bit. But mainly, it's because the air conditioner blows into my eyes and dries up my contacts, and oh. then I go nuts. Well, that
2: way, aren't so. they goggles? I think they're goggles. I think no, well, they're just sunglasses. Like snow goggles, skiing goggles.
4: I wear 3D glasses whenever. I mean, I'm in the car, or if I'm looking, I'm outside. Oh, yeah. One's red, one's blue. Yeah. And you wouldn't believe the sights that I see.
2: No, I, you know what? It's funny. I can kind of imagine. Doesn't it feel like everything's like jumping into your face?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm what, always jittery. Yeah, that's why you're so jittery when you get here.
2: <laughs> I almost hit that pole. Um, we will uh, we'll talk sunglasses, of course. Also coming up, some empty news. Hey, you want to get back, I guess, at your doctors and everybody that Just perform surgery. One thing you could do is tweet your medical bills out. We'll talk about a woman that did that. Fascinating story. Her son had open heart surgery and she posted the bill on her Twitter feed. And it's amazing.
3: So, Jeff, have you got your bill for your newborn
4: yet? I have not. They purposely wait a couple of months just Just, so
3: that, you know, make sure the baby takes Yeah, keep us updated. We have to know if you actually got, uh, you know, charged for like the delivery room that you did not use. I guarantee you we will. Well, okay. they'll call it lobby fees. Because, yeah. Yeah.
2: If you're going to deliver in our lobby, that's an extra fee. Same price as the delivery room.
4: Then they had to call in the cleanup crew. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yuck. They had to rewax the floors. <laughs> It was horrible. Uh, We'll get to all that fun straight ahead. But first, let's do the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what do we need to know this morning?
3: The U.S. is planning to name China as one of the world's worst offenders in human trafficking and forced labor, labor, Reuters reports, citing a congressional source and a person familiar with the matter. The source also said the Secretary of State Rex Tillerson plans to classify China as a tier three offender alongside Iran, North Korea and Syria. Wow. This follows President Trump's tweet calling out China for not doing enough to help put pressure on north korea the move could strain the administration's relationship with beijing which trump has worked to strengthen over the past few months china's downgraded ranking is slated to be announced today in an annual state department report in other news former pharmacy, uh, pharmacy executive barry cadden will serve 108 months in prison for his role in a 2012 meningitis outbreak a judge sentenced him on Monday. Caden is the former head of New England Compounding Center, a now-defunct pharmaceutical company that sold contaminated medication in 2012. The medication sickened 778 people, 76 of whom died. Prosecutors accused Caden of knowing, knowingly selling contaminated medicine. He was convicted of racketeering charges in March, but dodged second-degree murder charges, which would have sent him to prison for at least 35 years. His company would take medicine. And if you needed a, like a special dosage, not like the generic one yeah. that's, that's, that's sold, they, they, they would take them and make a custom dosage for you. But as, uh, a, I believe it was CBS that did a bunch of behind the scenes sort of uh, reporting on this, you'd go in and the test tubes they would use to mix oh, things no. were full of like mold and all, I and mean just the, the equipment was dirty and that contaminated and got killed out to people. people. Yeah, and they died. Holy cow. So, bad news, but uh, they caught him, and uh, he's going to serve 108 months in prison for his role in that. Good. You're going to make us do the math on that? Yeah, somehow that's not enough. Huh. Oh, well. Russell Westbrook named the NBA's most valuable player after finishing with a record-breaking season. The Oklahoma City Thunder point guard was awarded uh, the award at the uh, inaugural award show Monday night for Mm. the NBA. Did you watch any of that, Matt? Uh, No, my son kept updating me. Yeah, I didn't watch it either. He became the uh, second player ever to average a triple-double, and he has now become the first player since Moses Malone in 1981 to be named MVP while playing for a team that won less than 50 games. Triple-double, is that three beef patties with two? No, not at all. So So, uh, special sauce. (laughs) So he, he gets the award. They tried this experiment of pushing it after the playoffs. Yeah. No one cares anymore. Yeah, everyone's attention has moved on because the playoffs are over. They missed that that window. Yeah, they they tried. Everyone talks about the MVP as the season is ending. Yeah. And then there's two months of playoffs, and then nobody cares Well, and especially happening. Westbrook, because he didn't play in the playoffs
2: at all. So, right. He I mean, the, I mean he, he did, but he didn't play in the finals. Right. So. He got,
3: well, he got the first round the last yeah. month of the playoffs. He wasn't even out yeah. there. He's your best player. That's he, too yeah. long to wait. So he kind of lost that. Finally, Tropical Storm Cindy may have been downgraded to a tropical depression last week, but that doesn't mean the Gulf Coast residents are in the clear. As the storm moves inland, it's still expected to dump enough rainfall between Texas and Florida to cause severe flooding, which it did which raises the possibility of another threat that may take some locals by surprise, floating fire ants. Ooh! The notoriously tough insects are, just dang- are dangerous when they're wet, as they are when they're dry, <laughs> according to Alabama officials who are warning residents to keep their eyes peeled for floating mounds of fire ants. Floodwaters will not kill the fire ants. Instead their colonies will emerge from the soil form a loose ball float and flow with the water until reaching a dry area mm-hmm. or object floating colonies can look like ribbons streams or ball of ants floating on the water oh. These amoeba-like masses contain all the colony's members, worker ants, broods, and you know, eggs, larvae. And, they got, uh, they pupae. take everything they need. Winged, reproductive males and females, queen ants are all in this ball that's sort of rolling through the water. The warning notes that the invasive species are rugged and will latch onto anything that they come in contact with, such as piles of debris from floated homes. I'll add human beings if you happen to stumble into one of these. They yeah. just grab you and they don't let go. You can hit them with um, a power washer, they said
2: and, you they, know, won't and you. they won't let go and they won't let go Their mandibles
3: they, just hook well, you let's in let's not
2: use a power washer well
4: and plus i heard they're kind of like gremlins too where the more water you pour on them the more they multiply
2: ooh see but it, you know what i it's a good point it's it's a wet it's a wet burn instead of a dry burn you know wouldn't you rather have a a, a wet burn no than a dry burn, it's kind of like.
3: Well, the burn is poison. Yeah. So,
2: but it's like it's like a dry heat, so it's not like a humid heat. It's a. I'd rather have the dry heat. I think personally. Just it's different than the wet, humid heat. of And a- That's the silliest thing I've ever heard.
3: Alabama officials are recommending you do not stumble into the colony. Yeah. Stay away from it. Well, that's great advice. Wear long sleeves and, and bring feeling- a power washer. Well, no, because apparently that doesn't work. You, <laughs> it could be on you. You jump in you're the dead. water. You can't drown yourself. You're just dead. It just sounds like you're dead. They're just evil. Mm. And it was an accident. Hold on, where was, was this? Alabama? All through the South. Fire answer. all through the South. But the floating pack. They all float. That's what they're saying is that this is their survival technique. <sighs> so you're not going to flood them out. No. So when Billy says, get the hose. You can maybe push them away, but that's about it.
2: Yeah, but you got to you got to deal with them one by one. It sounds like almost. <sighs> Fire it's, it's like our producers; they just won't go away. One by one, they just keep coming in. Oh, I missed you guys! Holy cow! So much to uh, talk about. Um, don't want to brag, but uh, but you're going to four stab wounds. Mm. To take out one gallbladder, four wounds. Oh, I thought you were in a gang fight or something. No, I did too when I woke up. I'm like, what the? Uh, But I have this weird, I think I'm having phantom pains Mm. from my pancreas. uh, Not my pancreas, from my gallbladder that's gone.
3: Like Uh, you're like, oh, I feel like I still have my gallbladder.
2: Yeah. It's weird. It's really strange. It's like my organs are like, where's hey, where's Jimmy? Do you miss it already? I do. It's sad. I mean, you're with your gallbladder your whole life. Mm. The next thing you know, you wake up from a foggy fog, and you reach down to just pet your old gallbladder, (laughs) and it's gone. But the space is still there. So every once in a while, I get this weird like contraction, Mm. and it's telling me
3: those those are just Braxton Hicks contractions. By the way. Couldn't they they put some fuzzy dice in there or something just to fill the space? I
2: told them not to leave anything in there. All right. My doctor was
3: great, by the way. Dr. Granger.
2: Granger? I hardly know her. Hmm. That's the joke I used with him like 10 times. And? He said about more than 10 when I was under the influence. Oh, wow. But I miss you, Jimmy. Jimmy the gallbladder, we called him. I did ask the doctor to save it. We're going to tan it up. Oh, nice. And I'm going to make a coin purse. So I'll let you guys check it out. You don't know how much you love your gallbladder, folks, till it's missing. I didn't even know you needed it. But uh, I'll take four stab wounds for that little fella any day. Anyway.
4: There's a box of Kleenex right there for you.
2: Funny thing, I don't even need it. I'm just sad. But I've had enough time to mourn my losing some of my innards. I do feel a lot better. And I lost like 14 pounds. But I'm starving. No, I'm not. Hey, great show coming up. We're going to be talking health care costs. What on earth is going to happen to this health care bill? Are this, is the Senate even going to be able to pass that thing? I doubt it. Come on. We're talking the public option. It is another option, but it's one that has, has a pretty bad reputation. We're going to give you the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, the truth about the public option up next. Secretary Tom Price of the U.S. Health and Human Services is currently traveling the country as he tries to meet with business leaders and citizens to ensure them that they will not lose their health care coverage. This uh, listening tour coincides with the Republicans' quick push to, uh, I guess, repeal and replace Obamacare. While politicians drag this process out, we need to ask an important question here. Is there a simpler way to fix Obamacare? Remember, so many uh, of the the companies that are providing insurance are backing out. They're no longer uh, providing that insurance. They're no longer offering their services in certain parts of the country, which is leaving certain areas empty f- without anybody there to provide uh, the insurance that's necessary. So there is no marketplace in some places, and no competition in other places. So here to speak with us a little bit today about a possible solution uh, or, or additive solution that could be added to the game that might create some answers to a lot of the problems we're facing with the current healthcare problem is Professor Jacob S. Hacker. Uh, he is the father. Of the public option, a professor of political science at Yale University, and we we wanted him to come talk to us today to explain this public option because it it really has been, um, I guess, maligned in every way possible. So, Dr. Hacker, thank you so much for your time today.
5: Oh, well, thanks for having me, Matt. Couldn't be more timely.
2: Is it totally is is it true that the public option is Lord Darth Vader's favorite option? <laughs>
5: Yeah, no, I I remember during the debate um, over health care reform back in 2009 uh, that Glenn Beck (laughs) put a picture of me in one of his programs. He didn't actually say my name, but I'm a cyclist, and some of the the guys that I ride bikes with um, have different political views than I do. And one of them looked at me and said, Man, he did everything but put you know a, a pointy <laughs> little ears on you, you know yep. and, a, and a forked tail. yeah, and you're the devil so it it was it was definitely uh demonized, but let me just explain simply because i I've found in my conversations with Americans of all political stripes that um, that it actually has a lot of support, and indeed that's what the polls show. So the public option is simply letting every American who doesn't have coverage from their employer or um, or who doesn't have coverage from the Medicaid program or the Medicare program, uh, to buy into a new public plan that looks a lot like Medicare. In fact, I think it should just basically be a new, let's say, Part E of Medicare, Medicare for everyone. Hmm. Um, and you could get that coverage in the way that people are buying coverage today through the health insurance exchanges under the Affordable Care Act, um, But the idea is that even in parts of the country that have no private plans, and there are a few, or have only one, there would be some competition and you'd have the ability to buy into a plan that's familiar to most Americans, uh, and popular. Um, and, and as I said, you know, when you, when you poll people, when you talk with them, they say, that makes a lot of sense. Medicare is pretty cost efficient. It has low administrative costs. It, um, it has had slower growth of its costs than private insurance. Most Americans on it are overwhelmingly satisfied with it, and, um, and it, would get, it would deal with two problems. One is that there isn't enough competition in a lot of the country between private plans. And two, and I think this is really important, that right now the plans are competing in part by getting narrower and narrower networks um, and doing other things that people are not such fans of. And in a lot of the country, it's not like the top-rated plans that are in the market. Uh, in the exchanges. It's often sort of bottom feeding plans uh, that have stuck around. As you know, a lot of the top insurers have pulled out of the exchanges. Um, so you get a really good benchmark plan to set the standard uh, for the private sector to ensure that people are protected, even if private plans pull out or change their behavior. And that could be really important, I should say, if the Senate health uh, plan passes, uh, because it actually frees up the state's to really cut back on a lot of the protections that people have. Yeah. So I'm hopeful, uh, to be uh, frank, that this bill that's before the Senate right now does not get enacted, and I can explain why, but um, but I think the public option would be a good option, so to speak, um, even if it did.
2: It seems like there's so much misinformation around it, because, like, like you're saying, um the the doctors that provide the service for Medicare Part E, those that would get this the public option, are the exact same doctors I go to through my corporate plan. So it's exactly and or, and, and or that you, yeah, no explaining that.
5: that your your family members go to through Medicare, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. So you know, Medicare is often discussed as a as a single payer, um, which I don't think is a very <laughs> evocative term, but. But it is worth understanding that Medicare is essentially just a big insurance plan, and um, and it doesn't own any facilities, right? Everyone goes to a private uh, doctor or, or hospital, um, and the vast majority, um, indeed, I think it's you know at roughly ninety percent at present of hospitals and physicians, basically all hospitals and about ninety percent of physicians take Medicare patients, so you're really talking about the biggest possible network in the country and Mm. wherever you are in the country. So for example, right now with the plans that are being offered, usually you have a very limited network and you're out of network coverage. Say if you're out of your state or if you are going to a doctor or hospital, who's not in your network, uh, that coverage is very skimpy and and there's a lot of surprise medical bills as well. where People go to the hospital and they think they're covered, um, but then they discover after the fact that the hospital was in the network, but the doctor who treated them wasn't. Um, and that's just ridiculous, right? I mean, that's no way to run a healthcare system. And a lot of times you hear this, you know, line that, well, people should be able to shop around for healthcare, and But what does that mean? Um, and it really means, right, that you can choose high quality providers. And um, and the ability to make sure that you're getting the best care possible, it doesn't. It can't mean that, that when you're on an emergency room gurney uh, that you have to ask whether everybody who's going to treat you in the next uh, two hours um, is going to be uh, within your network. So I think we really need to rethink what it means to say people should be shopping for their medical care. And I think the best way to understand it is that people should be able to choose their health plan. And under this proposal, the public plan would be an option, and it would be right alongside the private insurance plans, just like in Medicare. If you have a family member in Medicare, you probably know that they can choose a private uh, Medicare Advantage plan, uh, or they can be in the so-called traditional Medicare program, which is a lot more like Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, or you know, a traditional plan where you can go to any doctor or hospital you want
2: now what I hear and and explain this to me is that uh, but fewer and fewer doctors they don't they don't make the same money they're making whatever thirty cents on the dollar on a Medicare patient than they would make on a regular patient through our insu- regular insurance. Um, so doctors don't want this eventually doctors are going to opt out and eventually all these people will be left without caregivers, but your data, is completely different than that.
5: Well, look, th- th- this is one of these cases where, you know, are you going to believe um, the, the doomsayers or your own eyes, right? I mean, Medicare patients have no complaints about getting access to doctors. And most, as I said, 90% of doctors and essentially all hospitals accept Medicare payments. So it can't be too, it can't be that penurious. It can't be that, um, you know, uh, inexpensive for them. Uh, the, the prices can't be that low for them that they that they aren't willing to accept it. I mean, there is an issue, and I, 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 and I think it's really important to understand. We are the only country in the world that essentially lets um, the market, uh, a distorted market, decide what prices should be. Mm. Most countries have a negotiation process uh, and a regulatory process that determines how much you pay. And uh, that is it turns out, a lot better at controlling costs. This is not a controversial point. Some people argue that that using these kinds of regulatory and uh, negotiation approaches to controlling costs has other problems, but no one disputes that other countries spend on average uh, about half as much as we do per person on healthcare and their prices are much, 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 much lower. And So Medicare is um, more like the the system that other countries have and it's as a result it actually has costs that have grown more slowly prices that have grown more slowly and prices that are a bit below the private sector on average the real difference between Medicare and this is coming from work of a colleague of mine at Yale Zach Cooper the real difference is variation so in Medicare there's uh, there is some variation allowed across regions but there's pretty much a set price within regions um, for services. And and often that's based on what you come into the hospital with. It's called a diagnosis related group. So if you come in and you have a certain diagnosis, then Medicare pays a certain amount. And that's what private sector plans also use now. Um, They followed Medicare in adopting this. Anyway, the difference is that in private plans, the ratio between the highest and lowest pay payment uh prices is just enormous comparatively um and that is a really big deal because if we could just bring down the very high end um we'd do a lot to contain costs so the the public option will certainly reduce the rate of growth of healthcare spending uh relative to to the private insurance system um and it will do so um, particularly in areas where there's these really strongly consolidated hospital and uh, and doctor systems that are the ones that that occupy the very top end of the price structure. And I live in such an area. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yale. I'm going to badmouth my employer for just a moment. Um, <laughs> Yale University operates the Yale Medical System. And it has bought up all of the local hospitals. It, it actually has most of the group practices now as well. Um, there is essentially a single payer or at least single provider in the area, and it charges pretty high prices. And uh, And the result is that we're a pretty high cost medical area, and we're not the only place. This is happening all over the country. It makes total sense if you're a healthcare care provider. It just doesn't make a lot of sense for us as consumers and our government as a uh, as a a responsible steward of taxpayer dollars to pay those high prices hmm.
2: no we just had by the way thank heavens for tenure or you would have just been fired right there Jacob. um that <laughs> <Yes>. i mean
5: <laughs> well i have a friend i have a friend who uh who spent his last years um touring the 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 seas on a sailboat that was entitled that, that was uh the name of the sailboat was uh academic freedom um <laughs> so i i'm very i'm very happy to have that academic freedom but this I just want to be clear that this is nothing. Uh, this is not a Yale problem or no, yeah, a New Haven no. problem. This is a national problem.
2: I just had a, a friend talk to me about that they had cataract surgery. They did one eye at one hospital that w- with a surgeon. That same surgeon went to another hospital system, did the other eye, and their bills were $5,000 different for the exact same procedure by the exact same doctor.
5: That's exactly the, That's exactly the problem. And... So there really, there really are, not, uh, there are no secrets here. Um, when you have a system such as ours where you have insurance paying, there are very little in the way of incentives for doctors and hospitals or for patients uh, to push for lower costs. And the, the fact is that um, we as consumers of care, we need that protection. You know, people tell me, well, can't we just all shop around for our insurance? We don't need, you know, shop around for our healthcare. We don't need insurance. And I say, you know, saying we don't need insurance to buy healthcare is like saying we don't need mortgages to buy houses. Hmm. The big ticket stuff is beyond our means. And also we're not usually in a position to bargain for lower prices. We want that insurance company to have our back. Um, and, the fa- but the fact is, is that the, the providers of care have a lot more market power than insurance companies or than we do. And and that's why it's a different market than a lot of markets, um, because we don't know what we need in a lot of cases. So I just try to point out that in an ideal, well-functioning, competitive market, we, um, you know, we might need a certain kinds of you know catastrophic insurance, but we wouldn't need to have um, all, uh, a, someone bargaining on our behalf, we wouldn't need to have um, the kind of rules that we, ha- that we have already in the system or the kind of programs necessarily that we already have. But that's not the market we're dealing with. It, and it, the, public op- I'll go ahead. the public option is really a response to the reality that um, you need a heavy on your side. And that's why I think it's really important that it be tied to Medicare and, and sort of taking that bargaining power that comes from these, um, the millions of people who are in Medicare already.
2: No, totally. And it seems like you, you need a heavy on your side, but the only heavies in the game are insurance companies. Um, and and yeah. all the, all Medicare Part E would be, the everyone Medicare option would be just having that heavy that can go in and can have enough people behind them that you could, you know, bargain for better rates, better prices, you could demand different levels of service. And um, but you're but so really the government would just be competing against every other insurance company that wants to play in that exactly. market.
5: And, and and you would have a choice. Um and employer based plans would still be there. Now Matt, I that you're you you could be out there selling this plan. I really that's exactly right. One question that people have is sort of how do we get from here to there? Yeah. Um and that's a that's a tricky question. So first of all, if we want to get to a, a world in which everyone has uh, access to a public option and which everyone has insurance, we really shouldn't pass the Senate health bill, which, according to the Congressional Budget Office, would lead to 15 million people losing their coverage next year and 22 million losing it over the next 10 years relative to mm. what would have uh, been the case. So, so let's first say that uh, we go back to the drawing board <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and tear this up and think about a, a better approach. So the next thing we'd say is look if people have good employment based insurance that's then we shouldn't worry about it and under the affordable care act there are rules about insurance that employers provide that so that they can't just like offer you you know bare bones coverage and then call it a day so so we've already got those rules in place but if your employer doesn't provide insurance then this is the big change i think that you should be automatically enrolled in one of the coverage options That would be available under the under the system i'm talking about so if you don't have employer-based insurance right you could have low income uh, and be eligible for medicaid right the state federal health insurance program that has done so much to cover more americans if your income isn't low enough to qualify for medicaid under the current system you get these tax credits uh, to buy coverage through the so-called health insurance exchanges now what i'm saying is that you should be able to buy the Medicare Part E, Medicare for Everyone, through those exchanges. But I think there's a really big problem with the current system. It requires, it relies on this really un, uh, unlovable mandate that people have coverage, and that doesn't obviously work because not everyone has coverage. Right. So my proposal would be that, very simply, that if your employer says, I'm not covering you um, – they would send your name to the local exchange, uh, the state exchange, or um, in the case of those who are over 65 to Medicare or the case of those um, who are covered by some other um, uh, program that's not Medicaid or the exchanges like a, a veterans program or the like. They they would send that name and you would be automatically enrolled through the exchange in either uh, Medicaid if you have a low income or in Um, the public option. And this is controversial, and you could have it that you get sort of randomly enrolled, uh, or there's a default plan that isn't the public option if you aren't eligible for Medicaid. This is getting a little complicated, but I'm not a fan of that. And my sense is that most Americans would be pretty happy with Medicare-like coverage. And if you're if you don't pick a private plan, then you go into the, the public option, just as, it, just as the, is the case with Medicare. If you don't pick a Medicare Advantage private plan, you just get the basic Medicare coverage, so the traditional Medicare coverage. So under my system, everyone who didn't get employment-based um, insurance would be automatically covered. And the, there are two additional issues you'd have to deal with, right? Some people aren't going to be able to afford the insurance. Right. And that's true under the current system. So the question you have to ask is, do you want to allow people to opt out? Um, and, and I think that's a difficult question. Um, my my idea would be, instead of allowing them to opt out, let's just make the system generous enough that they can afford the coverage. And the way to do that, in my view, is to require that not only the individual consumer and the taxpayer pay for your coverage, but also that employers uh, contribute something. So under my system, if your employer said, I don't give this person coverage, then they'd have to pay a modest amount as a share
2: of your payroll. So a tax, a payroll tax, or yeah.
5: Yeah, a payroll tax, although I would like to call it a premium contribution. A premium (laughs)
2: contribution to the (laughs) community. But
6: that's not
5: essential to the system, but it just would make it a lot easier to do the financing. It's also the case that, look, if employers right now, if they drop coverage, they don't pay really much in the way of a penalty. So there's not a lot of incentive for them to provide coverage. But I do think that if you move to a system in which there's really good automatic coverage for everyone who doesn't get employment based health insurance, then you don't want insurers you don't want employers to have a big incentive to drop coverage. so if they have to pay a modest amount on behalf of workers they don't cover, that would discourage them from just dropping their coverage so that's that's it. I mean I know that sounds pretty complicated, but compared with the current system, that is really straightforward
2: and it's really just it, oh go ahead.
5: No, I was just going to say, do you get coverage from your employer? Yeah. If yeah. not, you, you either get Medicaid if you're poor, Medicare if you're over 65, or the public option as a default uh, if you're in the middle.
2: I, and and, and we'll, t- we'll come back and talk more about this, Jacob, because I think in the end th- that, that you opened up some really big questions again. And then these are the political decisions we need to make. And it seems like once we start trying to discuss these political sides like – uh, are we going to tax employers now is is you know is this health care um, do we want everybody covered because it seems like in the country there's still that debate of whether we still want everyone covered uh, but th- like you were saying thirty seven million people with this new proposed plan over the next ten years will be uninsured um, above and beyond where we currently are so Decisions we got to make. And in the end, they become political decisions, especially when we invoke this uh, public option. But it also folks remember, it's not like the, the the government is creating a hospital system, they're creating an insurance system, which they're already a part of. And that insurance system is going to change all the other levels of how you're insured, the level to which you're insured, the costs that can be charged. Uh, a lot of this, having just been in the hospital is hospitals make a lot of money. Now, they, they would say they don't. Um, but there's a reason Yale, for example, keeps buying up every clinic around them and now have a monopoly in their area, as do many other hospital systems around the country. So it, it seems to be working for a lot of the hospitals. Um, anyway, let's take a break, come back, helping us all understand the public option. It's it's one of many options, but it's one that you don't hear as much talk about uh, in this round of the healthcare bill. Stick with us folks, helping you unwind the chaos. This is the Matt Townsend show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us uh, from Yale University is Professor of Political Science there, uh, Jacob S. Hacker, also known as the father of the public option. He plus he's a human being for crying out loud. He's not the spawn of darkness. He, um, but he's he has been uh, you know beat up pretty harshly. But then again. He knows his stuff. So Professor Hackett is known for his research and writing regarding healthcare policy, and especially his development of the so-called public option, and today is walking us through this public option, which, which by the way, could be an answer to many of the woes that we have in the current bill. Um, I mean, the bill would obviously need to be changed quite a bit, but uh, Dr. Hacker, thank you for being with us again.
5: Oh, it's, it's totally my pleasure, and, and before the break, um, you were talking a bit about this political nature of this debate. And I, I have to say, having lived through this uh, a pretty intense period in my own life while um, while advocating for this idea, that it isn't necessarily a political debate. We all care deeply about this issue. And um, if you ask ordinary Americans what they care about, they care about having financial protection and access to good health care. So I really feel like that the guiding principles in this debate should be guided, should be driven by what works yeah. in, in the system and what's going to provide people with that protection. And so, you know, it took it, you know, it took many years of research for me to feel like I could answer that question. But but, you know, once I started looking at the various ideas out there, it really became clear to me that this part of our system that works best is right now is Medicare. and. Um, and and that's, you know, I think, really revealed by the fact that there isn't much partisan division over Medicare among Americans. Mm. It is overwhelmingly popular, um, even among those who, um, you know, are very, very conservative and, and strong supporters of the Republican Party, um, as well as among those who are on the left and supporters of the Democratic Party. So the difficult questions arise, as I said, about how we get there. And And I just should say that right now we're having a debate essentially about whether we roll back the clock uh, on the Affordable Care Act, which, you know, I I supported, but understand has a a lot of problems as well. And I just think instead of rolling back the clock, um, because that would be catastrophic for the millions of Americans who've gotten coverage and would really set us back at least a generation in moving towards a better solution, we really should be um, looking forward and um, and really building on and improving uh, the um, the system that we have and have created over the last um, over the last century and that means supporting employment based health insurance the coverage that the majority of Americans have today um, as well as uh, making sure that there's a good strong um, net to catch people if they don't have employment-based coverage. And the best net we have, I think, is one that is modeled after Medicare. And that's that's all that the public option is. It's basically saying you have employment-based coverage or uh, you have access to this new um, Medicare-like, uh, national, simple, uh, relatively affordable
2: plan. What about uh, – and take on some of these issues and, and just I- explain uh, – generally why these may not be great arguments what about those that complain that this is unfair competition so now the government's going to go in and be able to unfair in an unfair way compete against other people in the marketplace
5: well so first of all no one's saying that we should get rid of Medicare that it's somehow unfair competition in fact Medicare has its own competitive system within it right if you don't want the traditional Medicare program you can choose private plans and that kind of competition actually seems to work pretty well. Currently, the competition uh, that we have in much of the market takes the form of figuring out, if you're an insurer, ways in which to keep the premium low enough that you'll want to sign up, but then figure out ways to make it really hard for you to get the care you need, either by limiting your network or putting all these high copays and deductibles on your care. So to me, that's, that we have to say that the the healthcare market is... Uh, different Um, and it's different in part because it's very hard for us to shop around and therefore we need to treat it a little differently and we need competition but the competition we should have should be competition among high quality health plans and the public option doesn't have any unfair advantages in such competition. It's uh, we're not I'm not saying that the public option should be underpriced. It should be basically uh, charging people premium based on the cost of delivering medical care to people covered. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the public option should be, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, marketed differently than the private plans. Um, you know, if you go into the exchange, you see the public option, you see the, the choices you have in that area for private plans. I did say, and I, and I think this is important. But I, 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 as I said, we could figure out alternatives. I did say that if people don't choose a plan, they should probably be enrolled in the public option because it's the broadest coverage, it's the simplest. But, but I'm totally open to other ways of doing it. I just think it's a little bit weird to sort of randomly assign yeah. someone a private plan that they've never looked at, whereas the public option would be simple. Would it? And, and that. What? What? I'll kind of, oh, go ahead. That, no, I'm just going to say that's that's the degree to which I think that there is competition. Um, but I just want to be clear. I don't think competition is the be all end all in the system. I think for a lot of Americans, what's most important is simplicity and financial protection and making sure you have access to the doctors and hospitals you, you yeah. want to uh, go to.
2: And especially in, you know, middle America, where it's hard to get competition, maybe anyway, there's reasons insurance companies are backing out. So you have to have some option there. And it is the role of government, it seems like, to create some of those options if there are no other options.
5: Competition of the system, a lot of the country today. And so the public. The public option would actually increase competition in most of the country where there's only one or two insurance
2: plans. Hmm. So anybody that's arguing it's about competition then should should maybe enjoy this. I guess one other thing that we've only got about a minute to cover is okay. – um, and I mean this is – it seems impossible, but it, it always seems like to me when government tells us this isn't going to cost us much, um, it ends up costing us more and – everyone's afraid of Medicare expansion, I guess, and this is part of that idea that Medicare is just going to get so out of hand with promises of lower costs, but in reality, it's just a subtle hidden cost that eventually we all pay.
5: Well, it is, it is very much a real cost we pay. It's just a cost that we're willing to pay. So far, we've said Medicare is a, a program that we believe works well enough that, we're, that we support it with our tax dollars look, this doesn't get rid of the issue that we have to figure out how to control costs better in the future. My point is that we'll be in a better position to do that if everyone's covered, um, if everyone has access to a good um, uh, plan, including if they're not eligible for Medicaid or don't have employment-based health insurance, a Medicare-like plan. And we'll um, we'll grapple with this uh, important question of how to control costs in a way that's a lot better than we are now where we don't have insurance companies a lot of the country that are providing coverage to people who are in the exchanges and where a lot of the cost control takes the form of figuring out ways uh, to to hide cost or deny care or deny coverage um, to people who need it
2: Mm, now great insight jacob s hacker uh, we appreciate your your insight into that this again the father of the public option folks it's an option and it's an option that I think needs to be at least discussed and, and brought in. I love the line that everyone needs to have a heavy on your side. And until you're in the healthcare system anyway and you don't have a heavy on your side, um, you probably don't know how bad you need it. So we appreciate uh, Jacob S. Hacker's work there um, at, uh, as a professor of political science at Yale University. Great insight. A great brain, and again, it doesn't mean it's the only option, but um, a lot of times we just need to let these ideas in instead of just immediately demonizing them or the people that bring them. Interesting insights. We'll take a break, my friends. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. Again, healthcare option is one option uh, of uh, the public option is one option. But again, think about the people in the middle of the country that don't have any options and all the insurance companies, Aetna, all these companies are pulling out. So there won't be competition there. There's nothing there. Um, somebody needs to step up and and be there for that. Now, if if not, you could just um, give up healthcare altogether and start doing the bizarre knife massages that are going at a hardcore spa in China. You won't believe this. The owner of Ancient Art of Knife Therapy in Taipei, Taiwan, has been performing a strange pr- procedure for more than thirteen years. Uh, it's about 30 pounds is what it costs to, to have the treatment. It originated in China about 2,500 years ago, and it involves knives. Yes, knife therapy, they're calling it, where uh, they they put covers on your body and then they take cleavers and other knives, kitchen knives, certain knives, and they start like cutting on you, but without cutting your skin, but they, they do the motions of cutting on you, and uh, it's... Pretty crazy to watch. So we're going to post the video on our, uh, on our Twitter feed, at Dr. Matt Show, so you can see what's going on there. And if you thought that was weird, the weirdest part is when the masseuse starts to belch, um, and the belching is the masseuse's way of apparently spitting out bad energy that they're drawing from you, the client. So, okay, That's, that, just no. There's other healthcare options. Uh, knife Therapy is one of them Stick with us folks This is the Matt Townsend Show Helping you realize uh, how good you may have it And uh, how to make it even better Stick with us
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show
1: Your guide on the side
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: At Dr. Matt Show
0: Call the show at one eight five five chat byu
5: This is the Matt Townsend Show
0: Dr. Matt Townsend Now on BYU Radio
5: BYU Radio
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Doctor Matt, is fresh back from surgery and four knife wounds inflicted upon me by my surgeon. Just tiny little itty bitty stab wounds, not to get graphic, but I'm doing great, uh, and I've made it through an hour of the show. That was the real test. The hardest part, really, is the stamina that you need. I had no idea it, it's stamina that I lost because you're, you're you're speaking for 3 hours a day is it's pretty difficult. I mean you all know that normally I just then go to my office and ignore everybody.
4: It's really what drove you to drink all that diet coke. It did. Totally. Drove you to the drink.
2: It drove, drove me to the drink. Happy Sunglasses Day. Although the origins of sunglasses are unknown, the history of sunglasses stretches as far back as 14th century China where judges used eyewear made of smoke-colored quartz. To mask their emotions, I love wearing sunglasses for that very reason. Nobody knows what you're thinking, and then what's weird if you wear if you wear ear buds and sunglasses, you're in a whole different world.
4: actually, not only will people not know what you're thinking, but they can't see you at all.
2: no, you can't see them
4: no no, no, they can't see you once those shades go on
2: they can't they see can't see you at all no. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I thought, yeah. Interesting. My, my kids had the same belief up to about the age of six. Hmm. Well,
4: not six. Probably younger than that. Four. Well, then they lost the magic.
2: Mm-hmm. They lost the magic. So much to talk about today. Um, sunglasses Day, we'll be celebrating. Also, uh, craziest reasons for why you'd rob a bank. One reason was to avoid a man wanted to avoid his wife. Like, do not make me go back there. Um, a dog picked up by a tornado—pretty cool story of the survivability of, you know, the just the intense. You, you, you when you're thrown in a tornado, like eleven hundred, was it yards or feet? That um, you're you're lucky to be alive. One thousand feet.
4: Well, oh, and you mentioned he got picked up, too. And dogs, you know, they can't dial an Uber, no. so they have to get around some other <laughs> they way. They
2: to get a ride some way. Jumped right into that uh, vortex. Uh, we'll talk about that. Plus, uh, we're, we're going to talk about a slow speed chase, a low speed chase, kind of a la OJ. And uh, we're going to do... What, but slower. Even, even slower than the OJ uh, chase. But we're going to do a little kind of a psychology test of giving the benefit of the doubt. We're going to – instead of just assuming the person was just you know, a felon running at a very low speed, we're, we're going to see if we can't find reasons why he was just trying to be different. Well,
4: we see these stories put in front of us that have, what, five or six sentences to them? Yeah. We don't have the whole story. We don't know the whole
2: story. So we always make it up, but we tend to make it up negative, like all these people are horrible. But what if the person was just a really good guy that what if borrowed his, a truck?
4: Yeah. His his motivations could have been very noble. Yeah.
2: So we'll get to that uh, great story in a bit. But um, plus today, we're going to be talking about popularity and uh, what really? What's the benefit of being popular? Are there any benefits to being popular? Of course, the swag is great, all the free gifts you get. You know, when you're super popular and you walk in to a place, I I once got free, I got my drugs paid for once at a pharmacy because they recognized me. Really? Yeah, it super not my drug, my copay basically. Hmm. It's, it's nice of them. I don't know if it's legal, but I just said it, so there you have it. Um. But there are other benefits like you may live longer if you're popular.
4: What? I know.
2: Popular people live longer, which is weird.
4: You would think with all the extra attention they're getting, it would wear it on would them. wear
2: them down because many movie stars don't live very long and they're very popular.
4: That might have something to do with lifestyle choices, yeah. but you know.
2: Yeah, so popular people with certain lifestyle choices may live longer, too. We'll get to that fun study uh, and research straight ahead. But first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we need to be paying attention to?
3: The state of Illinois' budget crisis has become so dire that the state is in danger of entering a financial death spiral as a prominent ratings agency threatens to downgrade the state's credit score to junk status. Doing so would increase the cost of borrowing, worsen the deficit and making it even harder for taxpayers to dig out of the hole. S&P Global Ratings has warned the agency will likely lower Illinois' credit rating below investment grade if feuding lawmakers fail to agree on a state budget for a third straight year. Lawmakers are now in a special session in an effort to break the budget impasse prodded by Republican Governor Bruce Rauner, who has referred to his state as a banana republic. The state currently <laughs> wow. faces $130 billion in unfunded pension obligations and a backlog of unpaid bills worth $15 billion. A downgrade to junk status would increase the cost of borrowing for critical infrastructure or refinance existing debt. they're 15 billion in debt oh boy illinois the banana republic of illinois two people in new mexico santa fe county have contracted the human plague health officials confirmed monday earlier this month another new mexico man was also diagnosed with the plague the two latest victims are a 52 year old woman woman and a 62 year old woman all three
0: are receiving treatment
3: in the hospital so the story about that is the plague the plague is back well, the plague exists like out in the wild in animals. Yeah. And then you come in contact with the animal, and that's how a human gets the plague. We'll, we'll and then- talk
2: about it. I think I found the
3: animal.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you found the animal. All right. <laughs> oh, boy. On
3: July 7th, the state of California will add uh, glyce Glyphosate oh, yeah. to the main ingredient, the main ingredient in Roundup weed killer, to its list of chemicals known to cause cancer. But the maker of the product, Monsanto, is vowing to fight it out in court. With a when a chemical is listed as being known as a carcinogen, companies selling the product in California must add warning labels to their packaging. Monsanto has filed an appeal, saying the chemical doesn't cause cancer and labels would harm business. This is not the final step in the process. Monsanto vice president of global strategy says. And we will continue to aggressively challenge this improper decision. The chemical is sprayed on 250 types of crops in California and has no color or smell. It's not It's not a carcinogen.
2: I mean, so then they have to market it cancer-like light. Cancer light.
3: Yeah.
6: Alternative facts.
3: Yeah. Boy. This has been brewing for a long, long time. You know time. what they ought
2: to do. Here's the ultimate test. Bring in the board, Monsanto's board. Yeah. Give them a sandwich. And spray a gentle dose of glucosafate or whatever. Uh, Roundup, yeah. Roundup on it. And just see. Who's jumping in? <laughs> Who
3: wants the first bite? I'll eat that. No, you won't. Okay. So we'll see where, where that goes. And finally, we knew the Washington Nationals' bullpen was bad. I didn't know if you knew this. But I The Washington know. Nationals, they have, a really, they have a good record. Yeah. They're, They're in all, first place their in their team's division. doing well, but they have no relief pitching. Uh, Whenever they have to go to their relief pitcher, they go to the bullpen, they lose. That's not good. They lose leads and they go yeah. so uh but we figured out the damage uh not necess- the damage is not necessarily limiting to the games. Apparently, uh one national fan grew so frustrated with the team's relievers that he made sure to take shots at them in his obituary. 68-year-old Nationals fan named Patrick Killebrew oh. died peacefully June 20th, quote, after watching the Washington Nationals relief pitchers blow yet another lead. <laughs> That's how his obituary reads in the uh he, he Richmond Times he Dispatch. He didn't die
2: in the loving arms of his family. He died after watching the Nationals relief pitcher blow another lead.
3: Uh, th- this article says it checks out. Also, the Nationals lost their June nineteenth game against the Miami Marlins in a walk off single after giving up the lead, <laughs> and then on the twentieth, the obituary comes out that he died. And at the end of the obituary, it's just a short little paragraph. Yeah. At the end, it says, "In lieu of do- of uh, flowers, yeah." Please send donations to the National Relief Pitcher Fund (laughs) so they can actually afford someone that's of some skill.
4: You know, it could be worse. We talked yesterday uh, to Spencer and Jerem about how uh, in the Dodger game, the Rockies pitcher gave up five runs on four wild pitches. Wow. The Dodgers were behind.
3: He's got one job. He's got one job. Throw the ball to the catcher.
2: But but that's got to be the worst job in baseball
3: catcher? No, relief pitcher. Oh.
2: Really? Don't you think you come in know. for one inning? Well, yeah, no, but it's always, maybe every night, the maybe the only every other, other night. But it's every night. Your job is to secure the win.
4: Only if your team has the lead, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: That's but, Seriously, like but there's, you throw
2: 10 pitches? Well, yeah, that's great. If you what difficult? was the, who, Ramirez? Was that the guy uh who was the who is the Yankees? reliever that was incredible
3: oh right oh he was so good yeah i forgot his name now yeah we got to find his Was he the closer Uh uh-huh well there's closers and there's relievers no he's the he was the closer
2: that they would bring in at the end of every game and it was like boink 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 three up three down done
3: yeah every time but his job was to come in and throw three pitches yeah whereas Uh, the middle relief comes in and he may have an inning or two i mean it's easy i'm
2: not saying it's it's easy money sure but it's like a field goal kicker where you're you're dead either way you're either the loser kicker that nobody oh, respects yeah, 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 yeah. or because you hardly play, or you're the king of the world And he's
3: the guy that always gets to throw that last pitch. everybody cheers. But at the same time, you're also kind of like, are you a starter? Well no. Oh okay. yeah so you can't really win. Believers are basically are routinely failed starters,
2: but, and but're yeah they're good for they're good for an inning. What are you good for? I'm good for an inning? <laughs> I'm good for one here 's ten every, million dollars other night
3: so in essence, your job is don't mess it up yeah
2: there's no it's a lot
3: of pressure yeah
2: uh, okay here's a question for you i 'm going to give you three words, hmm. and I want you this is a little psychology for you i three words I want you to give me the first name that comes to your mind okay okay three words or the first thought that comes to your mind ooh this is a description the something. It might be the second. We'll it's, have to see it's if dis- I have to yeah, self You might Go have ahead. to self-censor. The words are drooling, snoring, and gassy.
3: <sighs> Producer of the Matt Townsend Show?
2: <laughs> okay. That was my... That Sometimes was one my, they're was sleeping I, out there at their desks. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Jeffrey? What was the first one again? Drooling, snoring, snoring and gassy. I
4: thought of drooling dog, snoring dad, Wow. and uh, gassy. For some reason, I thought of a sandwich.
2: Oh, that's very telling hmm. uh-huh. What are you uh, eating? This, um, this is – that is the headline for the world's ugliest dog. Yeah. Drooling, snoring, and gassy. What was his name? Martha. Oh, her. Martha the Mastiff. <laughs> wow. She wins the ugliest dog contest. And honestly, she's pretty ugly, not to be rude. But I thought there, the
4: gremlins looked more attractive there are uglier, than that
2: dog. There are uglier dogs here. Oh, boy. There are uglier dogs And it's there's. Let me just tell you, there's nothing worse than a chihuahua when they go bad. Like when a chihuahua has reached its expiration date, but it's still alive. (laughs) It just it it just comes unglued.
4: It shows you though that every creature needs somebody to love it.
2: The twenty yeah the twenty exactly the twenty sixteen world's ugliest dog was named Sweepy Rambo, a hairless wonder from Van Nuys that looked kind of like a chihuahua just. I don't know. It, looks, After a it major... looks like
4: if Dr. Frankenstein were to bring back to life a gremlin from the movie Gremlins, mm-hmm. that's probably what it would look like.
2: Yeah. This gassy one, uh, the 125-pound Mastiff, drooling, snorry, gassy, loud, and silly girl uh, named Martha, she won the deal. 1500 bucks. she won, a five-foot-tall trophy, uh, and is now known as the homeliest misfit of
4: the year. Hopefully she'll spend that money on on a, a makeover. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the funny thing about the makeover is, where do you begin? You know, this because mastiffs have a lot of flappy skin. Does she have white hair? Was that white hair? No, the mast. It's kind of a brown, but see with again. huge jowls and. Droopy eyes. And she needs an eye lift. Well, that's a different dog now, than that, the one that, you, you no, showed that, yeah, me. This is the winner. Oh, that, the see that dog's you, not so ugly. No, the the other one was the one last year's winner, the rat on a stick. That one's not so ugly. <laughs> rat
3: on a stick. That's yeah.
2: No, th- well, this one it's pretty ugly.
4: It's just <laughs> no. I've seen worse. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, tell like that the... to tell that to Martha. She's the <laughs> ugliest. They just they made it. It's official. Um, Oh happy sunglasses day. Uh we're, we're boy, we're gonna have to how we don't have time for all this fun. In fact, well let's try something. Let's let's do talk about the slow uh speed chase. O.J. Simpson made famous a slow speed chase um While trying to evade uh, police, an Alabama man is behind bars after leading sheriff's deputies on a slow-speed chase in a stolen delivery truck on Wednesday. It all began after 4.30 a.m. when deputies responded to investigate a report of suspicious vehicles sitting in the road with its lights on and no one around. While checking the car, a citizen informed them that a man had just stolen a Kenworth T300 flatbed delivery truck nearby. And the deputies then spotted the truck as it turned on the highway and attempted to stop the vehicle. The driver later identified as 29-year-old Randy DeWayne Vert, refused to stop and continued driving south. Vert was apparently unfamiliar with the complexities of the modern manual transmission and uh, drove at about speeds of 25 to 30 miles an hour on I-59. Apparently, he did not know how to shift into second gear. Hmm. It's it, that confangled instrument. He you couldn't know, do it.
4: There could be another explanation, though.
2: Well, there is.
4: Have You ever seen the film Speed? Yeah. If their speed exceeded fifty-five yeah, miles per it. hour, then the the bomb would go off. So maybe he was given a note that said, "Don't go above thirty miles per hour, or your car will explode."
2: Yeah. So maybe maybe that's why he didn't go above thirty. Yeah. Maybe he's just very speed conscious and conscientious because he wants to make sure that the children on their way to school are safe.
4: Yeah. And, you know, it it also begs the question, well, why didn't he stop when the police told him to? Yeah. You know, have you ever driven in a Kentworth T300 flatbed delivery truck? Not not recently. What if this was his lifelong ambition to drive one?
2: Well, yeah, do you stop? What if he's dying of cancer and this was his last chance to drive a Kenworth T300 flatbed?
4: I wouldn't ask you to stop chasing your dreams.
2: No. That's selfish. I, if I had a dream, that would be great. Uh, wh- why did he steal it? He didn't steal it. He, he borrowed it to fulfill a dream, and he was going to go pick up a load of lumber for a neighbor. Oh,
4: I think he was delivering uh, a kidney. Well, to kid, somebody that really needed it.
2: The kidneys aren't that big, but...
4: Well, they, you can, you know, he had plenty of space
2: maybe on the flatbed beans, truck. Maybe kidney beans. Like a, you okay. know, a, a, a plat of, I don't know. Um, uh, maybe he was, maybe he's in his local congregation. He's in charge of the moves and he was moving a family or two out. Yeah. To serve.
4: And, you know, some people might even think that this was a different person than the man who left his car abandoned on the road. Maybe that man who was driving that car, uh, maybe the rapture happened.
2: Maybe – yeah, maybe the rapture came. And maybe he – the guy that was driving the first car didn't know how to drive a stick shift and burnt out that motor, that transmission and then got in the T300, the Kenworth T300 flatbed and burned out that transmission. And maybe he was just waiting to, to, for the burnout before he would then exit the vehicle and then enjoy the rapture.
4: See, there's so much information we're not given. Sure. These are all very, very likely uh, bits of information that we're probably missing from the story.
2: Don't be a negative thinker. It's too easy to judge a criminal quickly. In fact, instead, slow down. Judge them slowly. <laughs> slow speed chase. Just try to give people the benefit of it out even if they are in a slow-speed chase. That's what we're trying to bring you, the joy of living on this crazy thing we call Earth. We'll be back, folks, coming back, talking about popular and the power of being likable. Stick with us.
3: Popular, you're going to be popular. I'll teach you the proper poise when you talk to boys Little ways to flirt and clowns I'll show you what shoes to wear
2: Popularity is a word that can bring to life Memories of our teenage years, can it? Mostly it involves feelings of insecurity, stress And the desire to be liked Whether you were popular or not Thankfully, we can say that those years are behind us, right? And thank goodness we don't have to deal with popularity anymore. Well, social psychologists would argue that isn't quite true. In his new book, Popular, The Power of Likeability in a Status-Obsessed World, Dr. Mitch Prinstein uh, addresses some of the misconceptions we all have about popularity. Dr. Prinstein, thank you so much for being with us today.
6: Thanks for having me.
2: What, a, what a, I think, a fascinating topic, because... We've all probably experienced. It seems like a universal experience in life when we run up into that our fear of not being likable or not being popular. So, define for us popularity, and and why is why is it that we're so obsessed with it today? Sure,
6: uh, yeah, it's a scary idea, right, to think that popularity is still all around us. But it it is. It's not exactly the same way, of course, that we experienced in high school, but yeah, we still really give a lot of attention to those kinds of things. Today, in two different ways, um, popularity comes in the form of likability, which is the extent to which we enjoy spending time with people. We uh, think highly of them. We trust them. We tell them about our lives. And that's separate from a different kind of popularity that's referred to as status. And status is really who's the most visible, who's the most powerful, influential, famous. That's a very different kind of popularity because, in fact, those who have really high status, just like back in high school, sometimes we might not like them very much at all.
2: Hmm. So it's interesting. This, you, can almost, you can hear kind of the, I guess, evolutionary psychology roots of this, that you would need... To be likable in order to stay in the group, you would want status in order to make sure you get a good, you know, portion of the foods and the survival abilities. Um, so is, is it is it kind of just our nature to want to be likable and have status?
6: Yeah, it's really amazing how much this is a part of our nature because we now know from research in neuroscience that there's a part of our brain that activates at the very moment even as adults, that we think that we might be excluded. It seems to suggest that our bodies were preparing us to be protected if we were going to lose the company and and the support of those around us. The part of our brain that seems to be activated is the same one that gets activated when we experience physical pain, Not, not the part that makes us say ouch, but the part that tells us, you know, this is a warning and an alarm and a something we need to avoid immediately. It's like our brain is telling us to get back in the herd as quickly as possible to maintain that protection.
2: Hmm. So we really, there, there's a chemical side to this that keeps driving us and, and making us want to be popular. Are there, are there some people that just don't have any of that in them? They just flat out don't care?
6: yeah there are i mean there are some people who even if they're biologically responding to feeling excluded they they're not so interested they don't think it's that important to make sure that they're really well liked and that's okay but what's really interesting is that we're now living in a world where it's becoming harder and harder to really be on your own in that way i mean people who are likable are given the benefit of the doubt and given opportunities all the time it's who gets promotions, it's how we raise our kids, all of these things are influenced by popularity in ways that we don't talk about, but, but they're really very powerful. It's one of the most powerful predictors of many of our long-term life outcomes.
2: Wow. Give us some more uh, information of, of how likability—so popularity, you're basically saying, is one of two things. It's likability. But it's also and it's also status likability um, means I guess people are drawn to you and it's ironic to me I guess that we use the word like uh, in social media so much. <laughs> um, but and, and so talk to me about what are the other benefits to us day in day out of just being likable?
6: Well, it's amazing. You know, we did a um, a study when we were looking at that, and we asked people to wear for one day a a really kind of crazy t-shirt on campus uh, just to see what would happen. And we knew that what would happen is that uh, people would treat them a little bit differently and kind of smile and ask them about it. And we made them pretty likable for a day. What was surprising was that folks realized how much it brought out of them a completely different side of them. They were more confident. They were more willing to interact with others. They felt more secure. And It changed the entire nature of their interactions over the course of the day in ways that they told us if this is how they were treated every single day, they would have grown up to become a completely different human than they are now. And that's what the research says. When we are likable, people treat us in ways that give us new experiences to learn, new opportunities to get involved in things that we otherwise would have been shut out of.
2: And that's why it has such a powerful and enduring effect unbelievable and you can see that I mean it's so strange. I remember being in a private school this was thirty years ago, probably no forty years ago and um being friends with the most popular guy in the school and of all and ev- there was there was only 30 desks in the room but he for some reason got the really cool desk. There was one <laughs> odd really but everyone wanted that desk but the most popular kid got that desk and I'm like wow what's it like but you're saying if the if you are seen as likable and you are then, then people treat you different because you're likable, you're popular. That actually changes who you end up becoming. That ends up changing the experiences you have, what you're willing to say or not say, and how you evolve, how you grow yourself. Absolutely. You know, in the
6: book, I talk about the story of two guys that go to law school, and one of them is far more qualified and prepared than the other. But he ends up failing. And the reason why is because his contemporary is a really likable guy. So he gets invited to study groups. He gets asked to – he chats with the teacher afterwards and learns extra material. He gets opportunities for internships that the other one does not get. He goes on, the likable guy goes on to have a remarkably successful career, not because he was more qualified and not because he was better prepared, but because he created an environment that left all doors open for him. While the more prepared guy, who is kind of more aloof, a little bit of a hermit – he really closed all those doors and at every opportunity to learn or to get new experiences, he lost out and what it had to do with was plain old likability.
2: Now to me this resonates almost with the research in emotional intelligence in a way. Um, would you would you then say, if I were a parent, would it be better for me to teach my kids the skills of being likable or the skills of being prepared? If I I was going to dichotomize it.
6: Yeah, what a great question. You know, I would say that um, it's, of course, really important for kids to be prepared and take their work seriously, but I think it would be a mistake to ignore likability. And one of the things I think is important is to recognize all the different ways that parents really play a role in developing their child's likability. Research says that even after controlling for a child's IQ, For their socioeconomic status, for their history of stress and mental health problems, and their parents' stress and mental health problems. The one factor that predicts above and beyond all of those other factors is their child's level of likability. It predicts their relationships, their work success, even their physical health for decades later.
2: Unbelievable. Because in a way, it it seems it's 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 almost like against the work ethic, Mitch. You're 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 blowing up the because now it's like your personality could get you somewhere instead of just your your integrity or your hard work ethic. But in reality, you live in a social world, right? So this shouldn't be surprising.
6: I mean, I think it's both. You know, I think we have to be prepared when we show yeah. up. To, to the table, we have to have something to bring there that's competent and appropriate. But I think if we believe that we left all those popularity dynamics back in high school, we're missing out on a very real factor, and that is that no matter where you work or no matter what interactions you're involved in, we're still humans. And yeah. as humans, we are still drawn to each other in a social way that is, that is part of the fabric of who we are. There's research now that says that even our DNA changes how it's expressed based on the most recent experience you had of being treated likably or as a disliked person. This what part That's, of who yeah. we are.
2: How, how how does it express differently?
6: So the minute that we are um, treated in a dislikable way, our DNA expects that we might get eaten by a woolly mammoth. Yeah, mama, more of it, yeah. So you know it activates an inflammation response in our body to protect us from bacterial infection and and wounds it simultaneously shuts off the parts of our DNA that would help us resist viruses because our body assumes if we're not going to be around anyone else for a while who are we going to catch a virus from so there's now this really powerful relationship between our social experiences and our physical health because Of course, we don't have any threats from willingness now. So our body is responding in a way that actually harms us rather than helping us.
2: Mm. And you can see it. I could just see I had some of my children run for like class officers. And um, boy, the impact it has on their psyche, on their on their willingness to try things, to put stuff out there. It changes them when they think they're liked.
6: Absolutely. I mean, and this is so important for adolescents. Just look at social media and look how much adolescents care about their peers. There's a reason for that. There's something about the ways that our brains develop right around the age of 11 or 12 that turns on a a pleasure center within our brains and makes it really tuned in to our social experiences. That's why everyone thinks their parents become totally lame when they become 11 years old they suddenly want to hang out with their peers because our body and our brains are developing in ways that make us really really care about popularity and it used to be that we lived in a world where we would kind of go back to being concerned about our likability when we became adults but the world has changed and now we're kind of perpetually in a a mouse-clicking high school where everyone's trying to be really popular online and Uh, And this is a really interesting time when it comes to popularity.
2: It's – I have a client that comes to me and it's – her ultimate objective in life is to be famous. And Mm -hmm. and I sit there and I think, okay, so what will you do with your fame? And then it's – well, I would just share me and I'd share my art and I'd share my talents and my gifts and I would try to enrich the world. And I'm like, well, wouldn't it make more sense that instead of like focusing on fame, that we focus on sharing you already and your gifts and your talents and enriching the lives of everyone around you? And we could do that today and you don't need to be a Kardashian to do that. <laughs> so, so you're telling me that's that desire for fame or kind of notoriety, that would be more status, I guess, popularity. That's, that's just kind of human nature.
6: Absolutely. You know, but it's important because the research says, just as you're pointing out, that those who have high status actually are at greater risk for relationship problems, addictions, anxiety, and depression. And the celebrities and other high status folks' uh, interviews within the book kind of really clearly articulate why it is that having that high status actually leads to all those problems, because those folks end up reporting that they're very unhappy. They feel more socially disconnected, and what they want more than anything is just for someone to really know them and like them. Hmm.
2: So, really, if we have to push for status or likability, uh, really, likability is is the healthier. It's the healthier avenue.
6: Absolutely, there's never been anything wrong with community and connection and caring for others, but fame and and having lots of visibility and power.
2: The research suggests that, that leads to problems. Mm-hmm. No, and I, you can totally see it just play out in Hollywood and other places. Um, let's do this, Mitch. Let's take a break, come back and continue this journey into popularity, the power of likability, uh, and learn what we can. We'll come back, get some more ideas for what what this means going forward as adults and our own popularity issues or likability issues At work, at home, at play, stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is uh, Dr. Uh, Mitch Prinstein. He's a father, a board-certified a husband, uh, by the way, a board-certified clinical child and adolescent psychologist, and serves as the Van Cedars Distinguished Professor of Psychology and Neuroscience and the Director of Clinical Psychology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill uh, Mitch is also the author of the book Popular, The Power of Likeability. Um, no, that, there's a better title than that, Likeability in a Status-Obsessed World. Uh, Mitch, we appreciate you. Thanks for being with us today. Sure. Thanks for having me. So um, it's, it's easy, it seems like, in social media to, uh, to want to be popular, to have as many f- people following you as you can, to have a lot of people like what you're saying – but that really doesn't seem like so much the likability you're talking about.
6: No, it's something to be a little bit concerned about when it comes to our kids in particular. It's all fun, of course, and it's um, and we all can get sucked into that whole world of trying to get likes and followers. But but for our kids, um, you know, they're getting a very clear message from teen magazines, from their friends, that this is the end all, be all, right? That that they need to have followers, that it's somehow an important life goal. And this is a concern. Um, There are teen magazines that are teaching them exactly how to be social media famous and telling them that this will solve all of their adolescent woes. There there are uh, makeup companies that are now marketing selfie makeup to help teens look better in their selfies. This is something, I think, you know, we really need to be concerned about as parents um, because I'd hate for kids to think that their life worth can be measured in likes and retweets.
2: Oh, that's so true. And you, you sit there and you think about it that instead we, we should be teaching them how to relate to others, how to make bigger circles that include others. So what, what are the skills that, that need to be there to produce more likable people?
6: Well, I mean, I think social media is one of those tools, actually. It's just how you use it. Um, You know, I think posting things that you may or may not even believe in or care about just because you think it will get the attention from others, that's a problem. But using social media to truly connect with others or um, send private messages and, and have actual conversations to learn how to share emotionally intimate information in a safe way, um, online or offline, that that is important. Those are teaching skills that will be very important in every business relationship and every personal partnership. Um, and we should be focusing on helping kids to, you know, learn the old arts of conversation and caring about others and making sure that what they're doing isn't just to promote themselves, but is really helping those that they care about. Do
2: do you notice that? Um... I mean, because I guess part of being popular would be it could be anything. It could be the child that can play sports really well, the dancer, uh, the funny kid. There's a lot of ways to be likable. And and I guess so which tells us there's probably a way for everyone to pick up their likability.
6: Absolutely. You know, but one of the things that people often uh, misunderstand about likability is that being kind and caring to others um, doesn't mean that you have to be a pushover. In fact, it's just the opposite. The, the people who are most likable, sometimes for the reasons that, that you are articulating, um, they actually are very good at one skill that is a really important skill for business as well as for their personal relationships, and that is the extent to which they're able to move a group by listening, by understanding the group's desires, and helping the group to move itself towards whatever outcome the likable person thinks would be useful. It's, it's not about showing up at a business meeting and dominating and telling everyone that their opinions don't matter. Mm. It's about listening to what everyone else is interested in and helping to guide the group overall towards a, a better solution. So everyone feels invested and, and aligned together. This is a really important difference that makes likable folks some of our best leaders out there, but it's very different from the kind of leadership that's more focused on being aggressive and you know telling everyone that they're not as important. Um, and I think that those kinds of skills are really important to teach kids and to foster in the development of uh, professionals as well, because it's not just about being a nice person. It's about knowing how to work within a group.
2: Hmm. And, yeah, and and, and do so effectively. I noticed um, on the book, uh, Susan Cain, author of the book Quiet, uh, had a quote that basically said, popular will make you rethink every social interaction you've had since high school. And Susan's one that talks a lot about introversion, extroversion. Do do you notice that, I, I, I mean, again, Popular is 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 bigger than introversion extroversion you can be you can um, be likable whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you're really scientific thinking or whatever you You need these skills regardless
6: absolutely. People sometimes think that being popular means you have to be extroverted and yeah. Actually, some of the most likable people are introverts um, for the same reasons. They, they're very good at listening and being really thoughtful about how they contribute socially. So this is, this is something that is different and that everyone could really achieve better likability. Sometimes through even the tiniest little changes that they might make, um, research has found that can have remarkably big effects.
2: You you talk about the fact that being popular maybe as a teenager does, in fact, impact how you see life, how you go about taking on the challenges of life. What, would, what happens to those that feel like they were never popular, that never had that kind of boost of self-esteem, that never had that caught through all caution to the wind because of their confidence? Is there a way to get that as an adult?
6: Absolutely. In fact, I think it's really important that that people know and realize that those old memories don't have to kind of plague us, you know, to to feel insecure forever. The key is to understand how they're affecting us today. So research says that a couple of different ways that this affects us. But one of them is that those prior memories are stored within our brains and they are being used to make us uh, think differently about the situations we're encountering today in ways that are beyond even our conscious awareness. There's a research study that showed a video of a social interaction to different folks, some of whom had been popular in the past and some not. And what they found was that they actually saw different things in the video. They had them wear eye trackers and they saw that those who were less popular Spent more time looking at all of the negative social cues in that video. Hmm. Those who were popular looked at all the positive interactions in the video. So, of course, later on when they were asked to tell a little bit about what they saw in the video and interpret it, they had literally seen the world in completely different ways. This is easily overcome just by realizing that you're doing it and reorienting, but some people don't think that those prior experiences are still affecting them. They kind of brush them under the rug, not realizing that it's created a filter or this bias that's affecting them every day.
2: Boy, and every kid, I mean, it makes your heart ache to think that uh, somebody could think that they're not liked, um, and then to know that not being liked as a 14-year-old impacts how they feel about life and see life positively or negatively as an 18-year-old, as a 25-year-old, as a 55-year-old. Um I guess it puts an onus on all of us to to be looking to like people.
6: Absolutely, I mean, and it's it is so hard to imagine a, a child who might be going to school every day and having a a tough time. And and yes, especially as you say, to think about their future. There there are some easy things that could be done, though. There's some really interesting work on social mimicry that says that. Sometimes the way that we act is contagious. If we walk into a room with our arms folded and we're kind of frowning, other people will also sometimes uh, feel sad themselves and they'll kind of describe you as being low energy or somehow casting a pall on the interaction. And folks don't realize how much what they're putting out there is sometimes reflected by others, almost giving them the impression that. Their initial suspicions that they would be rejected were were true, never realizing that they had perhaps been a part of why that happened. So sometimes just walking into a room and being more conscious about how this is a new opportunity and we don't have to feel like we're 14 anymore can make all the difference and have a, a remarkable cascade effect.
2: And, and we've had... Um... Uh, We've talked about body language, you know, Superman poses, all these other psychology-driven ideas, too, that open us up, bring more chemistry or different chemistry to us, confidence to us. I mean, I guess this is about awareness, isn't it? It is.
6: It's awareness of what we're doing socially, but it's also recognizing that even though popularity feels like it's ancient history, it's still something that's relevant. It's still something we need to think about our adolescence and recognize, yeah, it's probably still affecting us. Um, And we shouldn't just pretend that it's so long ago and we're not those people anymore.
2: No, it's true, huh? And it's, and, and this is, it's real. It's, it's, this isn't a fluke. This is, this is who we are. Um, I guess as we wrap up, we have about a minute or so. What would you say is, is the one thing, I mean, other than grabbing the book popular, the power of likability in a status obsessed world, what, what else could we do to, to improve our likability, our ability to connect to others um, a, as both parents and just adults? Well,
6: I would say let's focus a little bit less on the world we've now created about needing to seem famous and visible and powerful. And let's go back to caring about each other and really making connections. Research says the more that we are digitally connected to one another, the more we feel lonely and isolated. Mm. So it might be time to pick up the phone, believe it or not, or go have a conversation, because we are social creatures built to be happier when we do that.
2: Beautiful. Mitch Princeton is his name, author of the book Popular, The Power of Likeability in a Status-Obsessed World. Uh, You can also find out more at his website, mitchprinstein.com. Great resource for life, folks, Um, and for a better life, I think, for all of us. Let's go make everyone around us feel like they're liked. How powerful could that be in this world? We'll take a break, come back, wrap up hour number two of the program. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. And I
3: realize that everything shines...
2: The MT News Team,
4: first on the scene. Fifth on Facts.
2: Crunch. Welcome back, folks. Uh, First on the scene, fifth on the facts. What more do you want? Uh, In fact, uh, here's some news out of Kansas. A husband who robbed a bank to avoid his wife who was given to home confinement. Listen to this. A 70-year-old man said he robbed a Kansas City, Kansas bank so he could get away from his wife, blamed his actions on his depression. Federal judge on Tuesday sentenced Lawrence John Ripple to six months of home confinement and 50 hours of community service. Ripple went to the Bank of Labor a block from the police headquarters last September. He gave a note to a teller saying that he had a gun and was demanding money. After he was given the money, Ripple waited for police. Court records indicate Ripple wrote the robbery note in front of his wife and told her he would rather be in jail than at home. Ripple told the judge Tuesday that the heart surgery left him depressed and unlike himself before he robbed the bank and of all sentences to give, it was home confinement. It might as well be jail. Love we just learned about the importance of likability and uh, <laughs> boy poor guy suffering depression there and this is a heroic story of a dog that picked up by a tornado in Davie County survives and is recovering Davie North Carolina the dog was picked up thrown across the road in a tornado and uh, by the way a thousand feet the dog was thrown and uh, unbelievable a 12 year old australian shepherd survived the the crazy journey When I got to him, he was across the road in the pasture, Vinoy said. He could hardly walk. He was in severe pain with his lethargic, and he was lethargic. He was crying, and he had uh, broken his leg in multiple places, and his retina had been damaged as well. So the dog has gone through multiple surgeries, spent a lot of time at the vet, but now he's going to make a full recovery.
4: This wasn't Martha, was it? No.
2: Martha the Mastiff? Yeah. You mean the the gassy Mm -hmm.
4: Mastiff? Maybe the tornado is how she got so ugly.
2: No. She's just ugly. Uh, We're not being rude about Martha. She's just the winner of the ugliest dog contest.
4: And I took a a look at the picture and didn't think that she looked that ugly. You thought she looked great. After last year's winner, she looks like a million bucks.
2: (laughs) The the year before, that was an ugly dog. (laughs) <laughs> poor dogs well I'm glad this one survived congrats to their, them and their family uh, that's our number two of the program folks see life is good nothing to worry about we'll take a break we'll be back this is the Matt Townsend Show helping you be the good in the world
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr.
0: Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Dr. Matt here. Uh, back from a nip and a tuck. More nips than tucks, actually. Little gallbladders out. And uh, a big pocket of air space is in. Life is good. I feel better. Um, Excited to be back. It's good to appreciate the boys for taking over the show. I hear nothing was broken. Let's hear it for the boys. Okay. Uh, So that's about as much for the boys as we're thinking of. (laughs) It's also Sunglasses Day to the day you celebrate wearing your sunglasses. I love nothing more than to wear my Ray-Ban sunglasses. I think I look about 10 years younger and 2 inches taller.
4: Hmm. Yeah. Sunglasses will do that for you, huh? Mm-hmm. Totally. I think I'm more. Uh, I think I'm more likely to believe the fact that they you can't see anybody, or yeah. they can't see you once they're on. No, but that's just. You know, we need to get a pair of sunglasses for Palakiko. Yeah. You think? So that when he tilts his head back and his mouth is ajar. Oh yeah. And he happens to be at work. And he pretend and he's. He can lobbing. look so that he can look cool. Yeah.
2: When he's yeah. doing. Nobody that. Nobody sleeps more than Palakiko during work. It's crazy. Anyway, and he doesn't even have a microphone to talk about it. So um, that's – got a lot to cover today. This hour we will we'll be talking uh, families, some family topic coming up with uh, – when I think about it, uh, it, Julie hasn't been on the show – well, I, I haven't been around when Julie has been on. I she think, hasn't been for on months. in a month. Yeah. She went on a trip. That's right. So we can talk about her trip. But it might be time, and I noticed it with my kids. I'm tired of phones, cell phones, and TV. I just – I want our kids to go outside, but then it's so hot. Hmm. It's hard to get outside. And then, you know, you've got surgery, stuff like that gets in the way.
3: Hmm. So Julie will but be talking – I thought you said your kids just go to the basement and disappear. No. No? They want to just linger?
2: They, everyone just lingers. Just go away. But it's hard. It's a hard time of year. I have a son that's a lifeguard, so he's now saving lives.
3: It's, or just sitting in a chair, yeah. Depending on the day,
2: blowing his whistle. Hey, get off the get off the rope! Stop running! No having fun. Yeah.
3: And those are lifeguards. hey,
2: mom, take care of your kid; he's about to drown. Stuff like that. Uh, so we'll we'll talk about how to get your children to play more and watch less TV this summer, if that's possible.
3: You know, the way you do it is. We call it screen time. So I have a six-year-old who's discussing screen time with us now. And all the screens he wants to watch are iPads. Mm -hmm. And they all have codes on them that he doesn't know. Oh, see, that works. But the thing you're going to run into someday,
2: your children will be smarter than you are with technology. I don't think so.
3: Really? Because all you have to do is change the passcode. And it's pretty simple. You're just going to keep dumbing them down. And he won't have – sure. I mean, he could, fig- he could try to figure it out. It'll just lock out and you won't get to it anyways.
2: Have you ever heard of the new show Screen Cleaning with Jeff Simpson? Uh, no, I have not. It's, it's, it's on the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, it's wow. every Friday. It's one hour screen cleaning. He teaches you how to clean your screens. Oh, really? Like a yeah. nice cotton cloth like that. kind? Not even kind, just or... your television screens, but also your window screens. Don't oh.
4: use alcohol. Use the fabric softener sheets.
2: Oh, oh. wow. And yeah. then you're, you smell great, too. Oh. Mm-hmm. And gets rid of static electricity.
3: My thought is if you clean the windows, then your wife is going to get used to clean windows and she'll expect them to be clean. And then you've just given yourself more work. Yeah, that's a great point. So you may not want to do that. I mean, think about the implications of your good deed. Mm. Hmm. That's
2: a great point.
4: You know, uh, our new sponsor, the the Fidget Fads book, yeah, could be an alternative book. to watching all that TV. And,
2: I mean, there, there's other things you can do like fidget spinners. But Fidget Fad's book has even more things you can do. Some things you probably haven't even thought of doing.
4: Yeah. So it's Some of the things you really shouldn't do, maybe.
2: We'll be hearing from that sponsor in just a minute. Um, all of that ahead, plus, of course, uh, BYU Sports Nation will be on talking to us about their show that comes up at the top of the hour. And, of course, other headlines. We've got a lot to cover, um, plus a hero of the day. So what do you do when you're a police officer and you find out an old man has to sit out on his front porch because he's, he's dying of heat exhaustion? Well you step up and you help get him an air conditioner. That's what you do. So that hero will be our hero of the day. But first, let's get to Terry South, find out what's going on in the headlines around the
3: country. What's up? Several government websites, including that of Long Island, New York, uh, the Ohio state government and Ohio Governor John Kasich were attacked Sunday to display propaganda with a message that supports the Islamic State group. You know, ISIS. Yeah. Uh, all websites displaying the ISIS propaganda have since been removed, and the entire websites have been taken down for maintenance. A pro-ISIS hacking group has taken responsibility. It said things like, I like ISIS at one point. <laughs> ISIS good. ISIS good. But there was a lot.
2: How many states? Like four or five or something. Yeah. It's crazy.
3: And now uh, Great Britain's dealing with something right now where they, they're having a mass uh, c- a cyber attack, I guess you'd say. Uh,
2: hello, folks. We need to tighten these things up. Figure Isis is on the.
3: An Arkansas prison escapee who eluded the authorities for more than 30 years was taken into custody at a home in a quiet neighborhood in Springdale, Arkansas, on Sunday. Officials said how the inmate Stephen Dishman had been getting by and where he had been for more than three decades were not immediately clear. A spokesman for the Arkansas State Police said in an email that a person who met Mr. Dishman about five years after his 1985 escape came forward during the weekend. Which led the police to the home in Springdale, about 200 miles northwest of Little Rock. That uh, that tipster is being investigated because if they saw him five years after, so like 25 years ago they met this guy, and then they sat on that info for 25 years. Why? It's <laughs> hard. Well, it's hard to. It's hard to, re- it's hard to remember everything. Is it one of those things where you go, Oh yeah. They were waiting for other information. Mr. Dishman was serving a seven-year sentence for a 1984 conviction on theft of property and burglary charges when he escaped from a prison in Arkansas. Uh, In other news, tennis star Serena Williams is not to be messed with on or off the court. Over the weekend, John McEnroe, while promoting his new memoir, But Seriously, told NPR he believes Williams is the best female player ever. When asked why he didn't refer to her like others have as the best player in the world... McEnroe responded that while she is incredible, if Williams played in the men's circuit, she'd be like 700 in the world or something. Wow. Williams waited until Monday to tweet a message at McEnroe. Dear John, I adore and respect you, but please, please keep me out of your statements that are not factually based. And that wasn't all Williams went on to add. I've never played anyone ranked there or nor do I have time. Respect me and my privacy. I'm trying to have a baby. Good day, sir. Can a sir. woman not have a baby? Hey, this is really timely,
4: too, because there's that film coming out with uh, Steve Carell and Emma Stone called Battle of the Sexes,
3: where she yeah, plays yeah. Billie Jean
2: King. Perfect timing.
3: But, uh, so what would Serena be, uh, say, like, top ten in the world if she played the men? I don't know. I would doubt it. What about poor Venus? Wouldn't you? I don't know.
4: Who think? Who's thought about Venus's feelings in this? Just Serena, Paluto.
2: Um The funny thing is, he he wasn't maybe factually right about where she'd fit in the rankings with men, right? But was he factually right that she's the best woman to have ever played? She because she didn't. She's probably not arguing that point. Like you nailed that.
3: Well, no. People say she's the best player. Female player ever. Right. So, because she, the other one would be what, like Billie Jean King is another name, and uh, Martina Navratilova, the other one. I, I would See,
2: uh, Martina in her prime and Serena in her prime, that would have been because they were muscly, strong, incredible. They have a power power game. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, it'd be fascinating. I think we need to play this out.
3: I don't know. That's the thing is,
2: let Serena have her baby. John be quiet. Then we'll bring them together and we'll have – we'll and we'll just see where they fit. Hmm. That, I think that would be really fascinating because if women were competing against men, they'd probably learn – they'd figure out how to move up. Yeah. Then then what? Would they be top 10?
3: Is she Yeah. Could she
2: meet the top 10 against a man? That'd I be great.
3: Know. I don't know. I, I think whenever you enter that discussion, your foot is going no, firmly yeah. in, in mouth, but uh, – <laughs> Might want to steer clear, but he, But it's John McEnroe. That's what he does, right? That's what John does. Uh, and finally, uh, Sunglasses Day, as you've been uh, talking about. Such a good day. Uh, a million suns isn't cool. You know what's cool? And it says a billion suns. A so physicists from the University of Nebraska's aptly named Extreme Light Laboratory have just made the brightest light ever produced on Earth, and it's one billion times brighter than the surface of the sun. Wow. The super bright laser beam is helping researchers understand how light and matter interact. When light from a regular bulb or the sun strikes a surface, it scatters, which is what allows us to see. In everyday circumstances, an electron scatters just a couple of photons of light at a time. But with the University of Nebraska's laser, almost 1,000 photons scatters at once. So it's a billion times brighter than the sun. Yeah. And then a bunch of science gobbledygook. A, so,
2: a laser, but it's a laser, Right. Right. So if if five sons are great, ten sons are better. Right. If ten sons are better, then 20 billion sons are even
3: better. These are all true. I have five sons, and it's fantastic. Will they put this into a flashlight? (laughs) (laughs) I need to go to the grocery store and have my son shine this in my eyes because he thinks it's funny. They've already put it into my wife's phone. Yeah, those those phone lights are pretty bright.
2: Because when she's on her phone at night when I'm trying to sleep, it's at least –
3: 15 billion. Suns. Yeah, you're on the surface of the sun there. Yeah. So, how many suns again? A billion suns is what they made the light.
4: I thought there was a show about this <laughs> called My Billion Suns. Oh,
3: that was a great show.
2: Yeah. Da, na, na, <laughs> da, da, da. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great times. Oh, that mm. brings
3: back great memories.
2: Um, so, the argument of suns, I guess, is done. More better.
3: Yeah, I think more is always better.
2: <laughs> more better. <laughs> more better. Um, but again, it has nothing to do with daughters. Don't think daughters aren't worth equal amounts as
3: sons. Really?
2: I mean, we don't. want There to go was a point
3: the... in time where I think you made, you know, what? three daughters to a son when it comes to know, output that, for the farm that, work. I that mean, was;
2: those were bad days. Those okay, those Are we beyond those days. Yeah, now? we're oh. not. We don't want to go back to that. All right. Well, speaking of lobster, um, what a, a great. A great uh, story about a lobster weighing over 20 pounds was spotted in the in uh, Logan luggage. Logan, I guess, in Boston Logan Airport.
4: See now, that's the lobster you're hoping ends up on your plate when you go to Red Lobster. A 20
2: pound Never happened, lobster. Never happens though. TSA agents, imagine what these people find. You know, they find everything in luggage. But what happens when you? <laughs> When you're like, hey, Jerry, you got to – yeah, you're going to have to scan that one again. There's something in there. I don't know. Just go check it out. And Larry opens it and finds a 20-pound live lobster. The crustacean was detected in checked baggage in Terminal C. By the way, going through JetBlue course Mm. always looking for a deal Um, on Sunday morning lobsters can travel in either carry-on or check bag so I mean it's it's common I guess to find a lobster just not one this size I think they gave him a pat down too did they yeah oh boy and you know what I don't think you've lived till you frisked a 20 pound lobster whoa this lobster the guy's holding it at about his the the pinchers are about his shoulder the at the top of his shoulder and it The lobster goes all the way down to his knees. It's a, it's, it's a, it's about a red lobster.
4: So they were a little frisky. TSA was a little frisky with the lobster. So he got a little frisky back.
2: Yeah. They've cuffed him too. Apparently they put little bands on his poor little, I'm sure that's how he travels. Anyway. um, And you thought your job was boring. Then get a job at TSA. You'd think it would have to be wet, wouldn't it? Don't you have to keep a lobster wet? Um, Uh, I guess that's if they're dead, you'd put them on ice. But I guess they're just comfy and cozy, and I guess you're you're assuming they're going to survive being thrown around. Well,
4: it is summertime, so maybe he's, you know, getting a tan. Yeah,
2: good times. Anyway, straight ahead, we're going to be talking with uh, Julie Nelson, the bomb mom we call her, about how more play and less TV this summer with your family. Is it possible? Absolutely Stick with us. We'll show you how. Welcome back, friends. Well, she's here. Uh, Julie K. Nelson joins us. She's a wife, a mother of five children, author of Parenting with Spiritual Power, and Honey Grab the Plunger 25. <laughs> 1,000 examples of how to raise children. That was a
0: very close. Very close. For some talk.
2: reason, that's not reason. on my setup sheet. But I, I mean, it's a great book.
0: You remembered it. But it's, it's not Honey, Grab a it's, Plunger. It's, uh, let's see, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. Keep It Real that's and right. Grab a Plunger.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, joining us, Julie K. Nelson. She's a professor at uh, Utah Valley University and teaches families uh, family and human development, as well as marriage uh, skills. She's really here to help us understand what to do with our kids all summer.
0: Yeah, instead of going crazy.
2: These kids nowadays.
0: Oh, you want to, you want to love them or kill them at the I same mean, moment?
2: Seriously, as I'm sitting on the couch, uh, recovering from surgery, I felt like a 90 year old man. Like, don't make me get up. <laughs> seriously, it'll take me an hour. But they, they're just bored. And my wife's like, well, we've got weeding to do. And for some reason, nobody jumps at that, and then they just want to watch TV.
0: Right. It's the easy out, isn't it? It's not even
2: TV anymore. They just want to be on their devices. Their devices,
0: yeah. Because everything is on. I mean, you don't have to actually go to the actual TV and turn it on. You can do everything, stream it on your your tablet. And you know, it's kind of the go-to thing. Parents, it keeps your kids occupied. You don't have to hear, I'm bored. Right. They just play for hours on end, and their brains turn to mush. I call it oatmeal brain. Oh. Um, you know, and it's easier to clean up than play doh. Let's face it, it. You know it, it is. No, it really is. The olden days, we like cleaned up, and we got things out, and we you know we interacted. Now a device is clean, easy. Wham, you put it away. And
2: right. there's some incredible learning apps. There's great tools you can mm-hmm. use. It's just,
0: it's the overuse. But I
2: used to, I used to go outside and play with my Tonka trucks. In a mud pit in my backyard,
0: and there's so much learning that happens oh, there. Yeah. That's that's completely in a different brain in your dimension in your brain that activates that part that we need to do. Electronics activate different parts of your brain, which yeah, are great, fantastic. But it's only specialized parts of your brain, and we also don't learn the emotional intelligence and the relational skills that we right? need to have. Deal,
2: how to deal with a bully yeah, in the street? Yeah, and know?
0: and uh, the, the properties of sand and water. You have to get into it, especially with preschoolers, toddlers. Up through about 8 or 10 years old, you are very um, sensory motor and they learn through their senses through touching, feeling. And so we, we are depriving that with our so young children true. if it's all just a, you know on a tablet. And so there's a lot of research behind it and doctors who say no, you know, no technology for preschoolers. Yeah. Very little.
2: Do you know I just caught myself watching a video of um, – it was one camera, 365 days and that camera was focused on one tree. OK. Sounds totally weird. But it's fascinating what happens to one tree in one year. And it showed all the animals that came around, the bears scratching its back on the tree, elk hitting its, their horns against it. I mean it was amazing. And I sat there and I thought, why would I need to go outside when I can just – watch this. But then we miss everything else
0: you're talking about. Why build a campfire in your backyard when you can put those little fireplaces on your TV, right? You don't even even need to leave (laughs) your house. But... We need to do something. Oh, we do. And there's so much research behind this. And I think we intuitively know as parents that, yeah, devices are great and there are some educational games and stuff. Um, but we need to learn other things such as problem solving besides how to shoot angry birds and kill virtual pigs.
2: Yeah, but you know, don't, don't don't ever downplay that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You never have lived till you've seen an angry – bird.
0: (laughs) Shooting at a pig. (laughs) That's right. You know, we need to learn how to socialize. We need to be creative beyond just what the device tells us to do and how to, you know, be active as far as physically active. That's such a big part that's missing. Um, And so summertime's We need to do that. That's what our bodies are for in the summertime is get up and be active and to learn how to negotiate with friends, how to to communicate. These are skills that are being lost on our young kids these days. And sadly, too many kids are becoming sugar, sugar junkies on technology because technology is like Twinkies. It's really nice in small doses. Yeah. And it really, you know, is helpful for a lot of, you know, educational things but we can learn so much more that away from the devices that we can't learn and essential life skills right. away from the devices. And we're depriving that of our kids and they're, no wonder they're becoming anxious as they grow older, becoming depressed because they can't handle and cope with the stresses of life because they didn't learn that early on. Well, and
2: subconsciously they've, kind, they've got to kind of know they're not very effectively geared to a social world right they're they're, they're really geared to what's happening on their little device but something inside of them it's, it's think about it if you have never had to throw a first pitch in a baseball game ever it's it's a very interesting experience where you may know you you could do it but if you've never had to do it you get a little worried about it. Then you start overthinking it. Then you're like, "What if I throw too high? What if I throw? What if I don't even? And what everyone, if I, everyone's watching me? And there's going to be a lot of. Yeah, it's going to be yeah, social. Yeah. And what if they boo? Like, what if I really mess up? And what about
0: the outfielder? Yeah. We are also depriving kids of um, attention span on our devices. And standing out in the outfield and waiting and waiting and waiting <laughs> and waiting for that so ball true. to come. You know, we really need yeah. to learn how to not only focus for um, long periods of time, but also how to be okay with ourselves when nothing else is happening. Uh, nothing's there to entertain us. And we do have attention spans longer than an oh, ant. I know. Yeah. It's so kind of scary. I want to just kind of share some ideas of how to kind of get around this technology addiction. Um, so we don't throw up our hands and say, "Okay, never mind. Just right. do whatever you want to all summer." When we feel like we are either the policeman telling them, "Stop doing that, stop fighting," um, and then also as parents, being more responsible with teaching them the skills, the life skills they need, and this is the time to do it. Yeah, um, they're not in school, and uh, so I've got some ideas to help. Cool. Um, it's not a comprehensive list, um, but just to consider. Um, How we can perhaps turn off the TV, um, turn down technology, and then turn up other kinds of learning that needs to happen, essential life skills. Sweet. Number one thing is that they can't do it without the actual goods. So I'm going to say bring out the goods for number one. That means – it's kind of the expression that comes to mind where you can't squeeze blood from a turnip. (laughs) Yeah. You know, if they don't have, if you say, "Okay, just go play," but they really don't have anything to play with, what do you mean? That means we need to jump start and squeeze some creative juices from their stagnant minds. So that means, as the adult, we've got to supply them. Go in the garage and dust off those, you know, uh, roller blades, or get out the basketball and, you know, the Nerf guns. Find the equipment, whatever it might mean, and it might even be that you can do things for, you know, really cheap and free, like the blankets and the chairs, and they make forts. Oh I mean, yeah, that costs nothing yeah. um you know ch- sidewalk chalk is very very cheap um there's lots of things watercolors there's lots of things that kids can do that are very cheap And things that we have around the house that are very open-ended. I I used to get, like, crafts out and just put them on the kitchen table and say, have at it. Just have fun. And we just sit around and just talk while we got out stickers and, you know, ink pads and stamps and papers and um, glitter and markers and decorative punches. And you made stuff.
2: That's cool. Even
0: if you got out old um, egg cartons and cereal boxes and you just build stuff you know just trashable stuff and you just build and you talk and you create from your own hands and it's all open-ended this is the skills we need to have kids to have in even in the technology world they have to learn how to think outside yeah. the box what, can I, as a team. what are 10 things i can do with this box and so yeah work as a team but also just being able to look at something and say what are different things i can do with this and be creative and open-ended and have a long attention span so provide the equipment, provide the the materials, provide the supplies, and sit down and even enjoy some time with them. Get the coloring books out, and then just color and talk for a while. You'd yeah. be surprised how therapeutic and how fun well, it's interesting coloring is. How how
2: what I when you're saying all of this, there's a there's a demand here on the parent to not be on your device, right? Like it's like you got to go help collect this stuff, mm. put it out there, have the energy, give them the idea. This is what we're going to do. We're going to figure out what we can do with these cereal boxes.
0: Yeah, there's just a lot, and I hate to say this word, but it's it's, it's based in research. It's called lazy parenting, where I just can be sitting here on my device, you can be sitting on their device, and there's really very little scaffolding, yeah. very little support, very little teaching and education that's going on. And it's I know and we need to have quiet time where parents maybe are working from home or they just need to have quiet time. And the kids can be on devices for a while, but it should be limited time. And also we need to limit ourselves, is what you're saying, as mm well yeah. and sit down with the kids and, and it is messier but guess what happens there's so much learning that happens during those messy moments um that needs to happen to help them prepare them for life right, uh, right. number number two would be practice on one-to-one ratio i would do this and many parents have done this as well very successfully they set up some kind of a um a token economy or something in their home where for every one hour that you um do something active or play, then you get, you earn a ticket or one hour for oh, your yeah. device. So you, like, you, you, some parents have even gotten those little carnival tickets yeah. and they get to earn them. they, they, you know, they, for one hour, I've done this and then they, you know, yeah. log it in and they get to redeem those for one hour on their device. But somewhere, somehow, parents that you have a kind of a limit of you know, uh, or, or earning, earning, once you do these things, then you can have the fun time after that. Or for every one hour, you know, then, okay, you've been on your technology for an hour, and now it's time to go outside and play. Yeah, no, Or time to good. do something different. So have some kind of a, you know, uh, something that uh, you are working towards or some kind of expectation that way uh, and then it's amazing how many parents have reported to me once they get them going doing something active for their one hour you know yeah they forget to come in and redeem it for their because they're having too much fun with the water balloon fight or right. riding, riding their bikes right um, they don't come back <laughs>
2: It's problem solved.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, next one. Be involved. Uh, this is partly what you're saying is that kids need to have the parent there with them, and we don't want to do this lazy parenting where the device teaches them all the that you know all the skills that we think they should know. Right. Um, there's so much more that parents with that um, relationship they need to have, and so you once you need to kind of jumpstart them once you get the materials out, or once you you know once they're like, well, I don't know what to do. Good in the olden days, they parents would teach you how to play hopscotch. Yeah, oh yeah. In the olden days, they would teach you how to play. Um, oh, what's that called Round the world the basketball uh-huh. game yep. I love that game yeah. you know and I go out there and play around the world with them but you got to start them you got to get them going then you can like you know eventually say okay kids go on and keep going on your own I can go in the house and do what I need to but they need to have they need to have the parent involved at least in the beginning to teach them how to play these games drawing the road map on the driveway with the chalk and then getting the cars out the Tonka trucks and, oh, them, and then they go then they get to go do or right. you know to the gas station that you've drawn and, yeah. and down the road And but you've got to be there to teach them how to do these things
2: because they because we assume they just do it naturally but
0: they forgot they need guidance or they, that, they've forgotten they've never learned in the first yeah. place how to build a fort with blankets
2: boy and how creative can you be building a fort or how creative can you allow them to be drying with chalk a little city yeah,
0: so you need to be so you need to start it off parents and get them jump started it might even be that you get look around in the community and say what is there i can be involved with with my uh, daughter or my teen with a reading program through the library. There's some great summer activities going on and a lot of them are free in your community. So go to the library, get some books every week with them, and then um, be involved in some reading programs and then just have, have some be-involved activities that go on in your community.
2: That's awesome. Let's take a break, come back, continue the journey with Julie Nelson. You can go to her website as well, a dot spoonfulofparenting.com, More on how to play more with your kids and have less TV time as well as just screen time this summer. Stick with us. The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be a family together. Welcome back, Padres. And uh, if you're a parent with beautiful children in summer, you may notice they're turning into couch potatoes. And if you want to avoid that... They're
0: sprouting eyes <laughs> they everywhere. Are,
2: they're starting to sprout little <laughs> eyes. Uh, then you, our, our guest today, Julie K. Nelson, we call her the bomb mom, the child whisperer. She has a website, a spoonfulofparenting.com, and she's helping us understand how to get them to turn off the devices and turn on a relationship with your kids.
0: Yeah, and the devices aren't bad. They're, they're um, I mean, good. I'm on my phone, right. but like you said, it starts with the parent. Really, yeah. we're addicted to our own devices. We're lazy, and with relationships, and it affects our own. We, you know, I'm sure you've talked about with marriages. Oh, and yeah. oh my gosh, oh, is it affecting it or what? Horrible. Yeah. So we're terrible models. So it starts with us, and then in the summertime, let's reconnect with our kids. And
2: there's a lot of really good discounts. Like I, we, we were talking about how my kids, my my problem with my children is they never come home. <laughs> And they don't actually bring their friends to our house because they don't feel like our house is conducive. Do you you
0: beat them or something? No, it's
2: just – it's not a – my friends – my kids all have friends that like have these mega houses Uh with pools and all these Uh, things. And we don't have that. We do have like – we have sprinklers. But no one wants to run through those anymore. But we got a really good discount because my kids for some odd reason are into bowling. So my wife bought a family pass for bowling and we go bowling. Or she'll just drop them off. She'll take the boys and drop them off and they'll just go bowling.
0: And they're in a bowling league this uh-huh. summer. Yeah. yeah cool. For kids. For yeah. kids. And we mentioned that with point number three is to be involved. So find those ways that you can be involved, getting your kids involved in community programs.
2: Because yeah. um, this is when the community uh-huh. kind of lights up and they start offering mm-hmm. a lot of their events, their resources are right now.
0: Right, right. So, so be involved. Look around. See what there is that you can get your kids involved in. Uh, day camps, whatever it might be. But learning skills as well. Sports camp are great arts dance
2: yeah but some um, of those take money and so i think of the poor mom that Uh you know a single mom who's trying to get her kid to be active but can't afford all the camps Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah.
0: absolutely and so i I always say okay what's the way you can make this cheap like with the supplies and stuff you can go out there and buy expensive bikes and rollerblades and you know what did my son just buy one of those hover thing what are they called
2: uh like a hover like a uh yeah
0: yeah a Dr- uh, drone, a drone, drone. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, a drone to spy on the neighbors. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. You don't have to get all that. No, it, it's da- get down to the basics. Back in the olden days, we did not have those things, and we had a blast in our yeah, summer. I mean, we
2: turned out okay. Yeah, we
0: got the slip and slide out. I mean, really, <laughs> totally. Um, but but the thing about it is, you can get into summer programs that are either cheap. They have discounts, um, and you can do it by sliding scale as well as there. There's free. Like I mentioned, one of my favorite things is the library. Mm. Now is the chance to go and participate in those library programs. They got a lot of free ones there. Get Get your kids so that the library becomes a second home to them, and then check out books every week. They can stay, you know, read at home, yeah. um, and then they also get like points for reading and like rewards at the end of the summer. They get like prizes. It's yeah, great. So, it's awesome. um, Anyway, number four. Let's do this one. Another thing that helps to reduce the technology—not that it's bad, but we don't want it to take over their lives twenty-four-seven—is to kind of mimic what school life is like. I know summer is meant to be like loosey-goosey um and the now's a chance to you know really just kind of Relax and have all the freedom in the world, but there should be some sort of structure still in their lives. Um, and and structure is what makes school work, right? Yeah. They they have a routine every day. They have a you know this comes first, math and then English, and and so kind of play on that. They can have free time, di- free time, but I really am a proponent of having the home be somewhat structured so that they can learn life skills there too. Instead
2: of like okay, wake up whenever you want, and then your whatever, day starts. Eat whatever then. you want.
0: Whatever, you know, yeah. sleep until noon, and. and there's no requirement for them to help out at all in the home, right. do any kind of chores, do anything at all. We're real. That is a real danger. Well, you
2: could just say we wake up at eight. So if you want your sleep, you're going to need to be home a little earlier. <laughs> we wake up at eight, and we start hitting it. We'll be outside doing chores this time. We'll have breakfast this time. We'll do. I mean, create a schedule.
0: Yeah, and if if you have a teenager who's not like too excited about that, I would just say you know before you use your device. And you decide when that's going to be. It can be at six o'clock at night because it took you all day to get this done, or at noon. Yeah. And then you've got from noon on to do whatever you want. And you've got a list every day of things that you know. Do you have you made your bed, brushed your teeth, and done your that's hair, taken a shower, yeah. made breakfast, and then certain jobs. You know, you know, maybe it's going to be that you've unloaded the dishwasher, or you've you know play outside for an hour, or done something creative, or done some kind of service for somebody. Uh, maybe every Friday it's mow the lawn. But once those things are done and you've got this routine, this schedule, and they can check it off their list, then they can have all the free time they day. want. It's up to them how so. fast and how or how slow that goes. So so it helps them to self-regulate, to be disciplined, um, and that you can make the home being environment. I didn't cool. even
2: think of that. Like don't give them access to the technology till everything's – done
0: yeah and it may, maybe they never get it done because they just become No, uh,
2: our kids we can't get them started because kids. they're all on technology right
0: right right so it's kind of like you you do first things you know first and that's helping around and yeah. do your thing in that and that's worked really beautifully in my home where they know these are the expectations and, and you can get it done by 10 o'clock in the morning if you wake up early enough totally. you know? and then you have all day to play yeah. but the point is is that it's up to them to self-regulate that's great, that's great. last one let's do this um that is to recruit other parents and kids. This is the toughie. But um, – and it may not make you the most parent, popular parent on the block. Okay, <laughs> They're not going to vote you in, right? Right. But you, it's really – this is the thing that I fight against. There's this wave of technology that moves into my home and that's when all the kids come over to play. And all they do is bring their devices and sit on the couch and then they're all just oh. like – I just look at it and go, crazy. oh my gosh.
2: That, they're, they're even talking. They're just not communi- – they're not using words but they're just texting each other. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all sitting in a room and you're thinking, you guys are a bunch of or slugs. Or this is
0: the Xbox and all they're doing is just like, you know, they got their little – yeah. Uh, what are those things called? The uh, joystick paddles. Yeah yeah. Pad- yeah, yeah, Joystick paddles, and they're just—that's all they're doing—is just staring at the screen. I'm thinking, what have they lost yeah. in this generation?
2: That's where you get the hose. <laughs> spray them down. I just spray them down.
0: Now that's fine to do that for an hour or whatever sure. you say is fine. You know, too. I don't care what you. But there has to be something equal that's going to activate other parts of the right. brain and help the emotional, social intelligence, physical activity. Don't,
2: don't you remember moms just? OK, out of the out, house. Out.
0: You're out. You had to be like – Yeah.
2: You, I can just imagine every house mom back in the day just kicking back watching her soaps when the kids were finally gone. But you <laughs> had to be out of the house. Yeah. Mom had to clean or whatever it was, but you you were gone. Yeah. Figure it out.
0: And that thing about it is you have to make this coalition of other parents that know that – that this is something expectation for all our kids that they have to be a certain amount yeah. of time playing you know on their own instead of on their devices so they're not just moving from house to oh, house to will, play with their they'll devices they'll just find the house then of least, least
2: resistance <laughs>
0: So share the research with other parents. Talk Sad. about their concerns. I'm sure other parents have the same concerns deep down. Saying, "Yeah, we want our kids to learn how to be play and have relationships too." So how can we support this? I have a friend whose whose son is device free this whole summer, and Ugh. has talked to the other parents about this, and they're all so so supportive. So when their son comes over, they're like, "Hey, we got to get off our devices, go do something else." And the parents are supportive of this because they know this is what this kid's doing. And I the like boor- that. the board games have come out of the closet. Yeah, they're dusted off, and they've had said It's just been the most amazing summer ever.
2: Well, maybe that's the time that we take a vacation. Maybe there's just certain times that – because you can have a reset at a vacation mm-hmm. because you then have them for a week, take the devices away or come back with some new rules if you haven't been able to set this up. At first, Julie, we got to go. Uh, give us one little bit of advice. What's the one thing that makes the biggest difference?
0: Well, I think it's parents who are proactive that, that you really have to uh, stem the tide or the tide just blows over you. Read stuff. Um, there's this great Huff post by Carrie Henley who did a detox for a week, and, and the, she said that the change in her home was remarkable. The first couple of days was disastrous, and she thought she was going to go crazy, and it was brutal. But after a week, the whole the whole tone of the of the home changed, and huh. siblings started to play together, having relationships oh, again. Heaven forbid! It was it was incredible. Read about this. Be proactive. You can do it. Don't give up, um, and involve your kids in the process of learning how to be friends again. It's great. Um, My yeah.
2: wife, because uh, I was had was recuperating, she went to church, sent a video. <laughs> Of my boys literally throwing each other against the wall at church, and I'm like, "Oh brother, you're gonna
0: get thrown out of your church." Oh brother, I know.
2: Seriously, they're gonna kick us out. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, you gotta, you gotta love her. Julie K. Nelson's her name. Go to her website, a spoonfulofparenting.com, where you can get her books and her latest and greatest uh, uh, journal entries and and other uh, resources for being a better parent. Stick with us, folks. We'll come back with our good brother from BYU Sports Nation. They're up next. Oh, oh, It's that time, folks, to send it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, as they're getting ready for their show today in just about nine minutes. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. What up? What up, what up?
7: Look, we've got a lot on our mind, okay?
2: Did there you... is a
1: lot going on. We, we've we had like five deep discussions <laughs> wow. about BYU sports, mainly football, today. Really? Before the show even starts.
2: Deep talk.
1: So we're like, what? we're... Throwing in stuff last minute, getting ready for the show, because we have got all kinds of content to get out.
2: Holy cow. Okay, so, so tell me then, what's on your show that, what are some of these t- talks leading to?
1: Okay, uh, f- first thing, we'll discuss in the headlines. Five lines are out from Vegas on five BYU games. So really? Lines, lines have been released. So Book BYU,
7: your trip to Vegas, Matt. It's BYU <laughs> a Las
1: Vegas or not? <laughs> In, okay. Cool. Five different games: LSU, Utah, Wisconsin, Boy, State, UNLV. We'll tell you coming up. Okay.
2: And so you'll, you'll, you'll tell. Or okay, an that's good. That's good. Good. That's good. Okay.
1: And how much of a dog are they versus LSU? Mm. That was bigger than I thought it'd be. Hmm.
7: Then there's the independence conversation. Okay.
2: We're still back there.
7: How long do fans want BYU to be an independent? Because it seems like it will be at least, at least a few more years with the announcement that ESPN is extending their contract with BYU to broadcast all of their home games through the year 2019. Mm. So what about after that? Do fans want BYU to stay independent? Do they want them to look for some other Group of Five conference? And a lot of people scoff at that and think, well, it's so myopic and (sighs) small-minded. But what do fans want? What do fans want? Injured. What did the
1: ESPN contract extension have to do with BYU's yeah. elongated independent yes. period?
2: Ooh, that's a mouthful. What, is, what does, does it mean
7: you. for BYU's independence? There, there's a lot there, Mike. And, and what
1: is the next year that expansion could happen? And ESPN.com literally within the last half an hour released an article talking about Expansion in the future, and BYU of course shows up in this article.
7: Oh yeah, (laughs) and tell you uh, about what's mentioned. We have the head volleyball coach of the U.S. national team, John Sparra, on the program, talking about what an impact five different BYU players/slash coaches are making for Team USA volleyball right now.
2: Wow, pretty good, right? Really good. Mm -hmm. This is this is this is all you guys have got.
7: (laughs) Here's how here's how crazy it went.
2: Yeah.
1: This morning, we were breaking down the 2018, 19, and 2020 schedules. What BYU's record would be in there. The value of winning versus exposure. Can you have both? Is BYU having both? What independence means for BYU? All kinds of discussions. Yeah. yeah. So we've got a lot to discuss. It's a loaded program today. Boy,
2: I, I'm just so you know, you got my vote.
7: Thank you, Matt. I, I mean,
2: up. I don't even know if we were voting, but. You, you guys got my vote.
7: How are you doing post-surgery? Uh,
1: you know what? Surgery,
2: uh, four stab wounds later, I'm doing great. Atta boy. I'm, I'm great. I didn't even recognize you. Did I know. you Did you, you notice? Crazy. I know. I know. I've lost uh, about 10, 12 pounds. Seriously? hmm I had a huge gallbladder. It was a 12-pounder. <laughs> <laughs> and it was huge. But I now have this weird empty GMI, space bro. in my gut, and it, I, I feel like the two ends that they cut off— Are they that they sealed up are trying to, like, reattach. You got sealed? Yeah. Uh Every once in a while, these things just, like, lunge for each other. And it's like we want to reattach. And every once in a while, you just get that little ow moment. But other than that, I'm great. That's why you say that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm great. Life is really good. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, I'm happy to be alive. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are like, wasn't it just gallbladder? And I'm like, well, yeah, but there was four stab wounds.
7: Mm-hmm. my friend.
2: I'll show you. I'll come over and Looking show you my scars.
7: Back to work already. Good grief. Man. I... Man of the people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. A man we can trust.
2: Yes. Thank you. Dr. Matt yes, Dr. Matt Johnson. <laughs> I'm here all day. All right, guys. Uh, have a great show. Knock did dead. About four and a half minutes, folks. They're locked and loaded. And as you see, they've been having deep, profound conversations. So it's only going to get...
4: They haven't been that deep. Yesterday, we talked about how they teamed up to buy... The Lego Batman movie.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. So they're going to kind of do it like as a communi- it's a communal so property. So
4: they wanted to cut me in on the deal, but they said Jerem gets the digital copy, Spencer <laughs> gets the Blu-ray, and then I would have to settle for the DVD. You didn't so want it to sounds like it's not such a good deal. Well, but
2: you could have paid less. I guess. Maybe you just pay a different cut. Hmm.
4: Huh.
2: Well, that's a great – and boy, it is. It sounds like the future of uh, digital – um, communal living. Like Don't if, you ever if do you live that? in a kibbutz, you could <laughs> easily. Is, excuse me. If you if you live like you know in some compound or a, a, a kibbutz in Israel, bless you. You're welcome. And you you could you could divide up your properties like that and and have a communal approach.
4: I would yeah. think in that type of a community, you wouldn't be watching Blu-rays and DVDs.
2: Yeah, you'd think so, huh? Mm-hmm. But not true sorry not not true remind me will you remind me tomorrow that we've got to talk to them about Serena Williams and John McEnroe
4: we need to talk to them about Serena Williams no, and so, John McEnroe yeah,
2: tomorrow you'll remind me if you oh. would yeah just try to remind me of that tomorrow I, I feel like we didn't give sunglasses day it's just desserts really I feel, I feel like we didn't <laughs> give it the attention it needed hmm Okay,
4: this sounds like it's leading towards something.
2: No, I just I just felt bad. I looked over and I thought, we didn't play it up. We didn't have sunglasses, music. You know, I just. So I felt bad.
4: This is shining a light on my shortcomings. Your work, sort of yeah.
2: Thing. Okay. By the way, uh, a really great um, thing I saw about twenty nine uh, magical photos of dads in delivery rooms, and it reminded me of you. I, I saw huh. it while I was recuperating. In fact, there's a picture of you uh, and your wife. Except you didn't make it to the delivery, right? I and mean, you made it. You made it to the lobby. But there's just really neat pictures of dads, and we'll I'll, we'll post that. That's a. It was on Huffington Post. But just dads' reactions to their cute little babies being born, and we make all these things up about how dads don't care, but you you put them in there holding their baby and. Their wife. I mean, that's a pretty poignant moment. So we'll, we'll put that up on our Twitter page at Dr. Matt Show. And of course, we always like to end the show with a hero story. And our hero today are Fort Worth police officers, strangers that buy a 95 year old man a new air conditioner. With temperatures topping 90 degrees in Fort Worth, 95 year old Julius Hatley was suffering because his uh, air conditioner was on the, uh, on the fritz. Uh, listen to this. Hatley had made it the best of the situation that he could. He would sit out on his porch in the shade to keep cool. He even continued to work in his yard, despite the fact that he's 95 years old, for heaven's sakes. Drenched in sweat, the man called the Fort Worth Police Department to report his broken air conditioner. This wasn't a regular 911 call. Fort Worth officer William Margulis told CBS News it was what you'd label low priority because there were no um, because we're not AC techs. But after responding to other calls first, eventually the police showed up. We got there around 830 a.m. His house was 85 to 90 degrees already. And in Texas, you know, it gets hot. So after taking talking over the situation with his partner, Margulis promised the man he'd find a solution. In the meantime, Hatley tried his best to keep from overheating. It, uh, again, it went out last night, the night before, and what ended up happening is these officers got together, everybody they could, and em- fellow employees and friends of the police department, the Dallas-Fort Worth Police Department, got together and contributed $150 of their own money with Home Depot, and they bought the guy an air conditioner. And took care of the man. So that is community in action. So we're going to call all of the Fort Worth police officers involved, Home Depot as well, everybody that was involved, the heroes, for just being there. And that's why we like to do the show, to help you see the good in the world and help you recognize you are part of it as well. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more light to help you live a healthier life. Until then, let's take care of each other. We'll talk tomorrow.